What is up, internets? This is the world. This is a very, very special episode. Why is that, David? I don't know. Why? Because I think it's our last f***ing episode of the seasons. That's right. Episode number 11. Thank you very much for sticking it out with us for 11 episodes. And you're not finished yet because we're going to be back in January. Why will we be back in January, David? Because we don't know how to stop. Ooh. <laughs> we have an addiction. So, thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, please check out our Patreon. Consider becoming a patron. Next season, season two, we are going to start offering some awesome rewards. You will be able to get the episodes early before they post. You'll be able to get them uncensored. There's also a whole slew of other uh, awards that are on our Patreon page. Check it out and consider supporting what we're doing here. And if you're going to do it, do it for one reason alone. Don't make him keep pouring himself out to you guys. I mean, really, guys, come on. Give him some clap. I mean, I'm tired of seeing it. Definitely. Yes. Definitely. 11 episodes, whore, 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 whore for more. Uh, the whore a little bit more. If you don't have the funds to support us on Patreon, you can also support us without spending a dime by liking, sharing, commenting, uh, injecting a little uh, a little action into the algorithm to get us into the feeds of your friends and family so they can have the opportunity to decide if they like us or not. And hopefully it snowballs from there. All right. With all that being said, uh, our final episode of this season is dedicated to the 1980s Tom Cruise, Way Dustin Hoffman, Barry Levinson classic, Rain Man. I don't even know, for the elevator pitch, I don't even know who's, who's picked this I think this was our pick. Just I, like I, think the, it, I think it was I mean, I, You know what? By the way, you look very debonair this evening for the awards. I wear the awards. I'm wearing royal. Yeah, we're, we're at the, uh, I don't even know what we call these. We're at the fingers. That's what our award show is called, the fingers. <laughs> the fingers. I mean, because like, I mean, we're dressed up as the last episode, I mean, I, I mean, of the season, and I feel I feel good, man. Yeah. Put a lot of hard work, a lot of effort, and uh, so, yeah, I think I think we, it's like for everybody, everybody came up with this. Surprisingly, though, as we get into this, it's not a cult classic like you think. Yeah, no, there is a surprisingly little amount of information about Rain Man on the YouTube, so we're looking forward to contributing to that. And if you've been living under a rock for the past three decades and you somehow have no idea what Rain Man is, a quick rundown of the plot. Tom Cruise plays Charlie Babbitt. Uh, Dustin Hoffman plays Raymond, a.k.a. Rayman. Rayman. Charlie Babbitt is estranged from his father since uh, teenage years. That's to say the least. Did not realize he had a brother. He remembered him as an imaginary friend because his brother was sent away to a a place for people with special needs um, early in their lives. Autistic savants. When Charlie's father dies and leaves all of the inheritance to a trustee that is to be unnamed, Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise, Charlie Babbitt finds out who that trustee is and in turn finds out he has a brother. And then in and thus ensues a road trip after Charlie uh, kidnaps his brother from from this place. Yeah, it's definitely a crime. To essentially hold him ransom for yeah. his share of the money 1. that 5. he is He wanted 1.5. He wanted 1.5. He's going to put him someplace nice. And somewhere along the lines of this journey, uh, a real connection is made. And uh, I don't want to really... Well, we are going to spoil uh, the end eventually. Uh, the several but, attempts to pawn him off. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. A real connection after everything else failed. Yeah. 
it is a fantastic movie. It is a great drama. It's I don't know if it's an accidental comedy, but there are some parts that are so genuinely funny, like, but un, in an untraditional sense. It's almost like you're laughing at something you shouldn't laugh at. But who's uh, made it easy? Yeah, who's made it easy? That's true. His response. Yeah. So let's get right into talking. Ten seconds of talking points. Ten seconds of talking points. Ten seconds of talking points. Ten seconds. Ten seconds of talking points. Let's get right into it. Let's get let's get right into it. Talking points. Talking points. Yeah, it was ten seconds of talking points. I was I've been doing the Oh doing Hoffman. Oh my god, what are you doing, bro? <laughs> Damn, I've been I working you. with you for a C. Hold on. You thought I was spazzing or something? <laughs> now I'm on the same page. Okay. <laughs> ten seconds. I've been of doing this points. bit for like <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't see, that's the problem. <laughs> All right, clarity, clarity. All right, yeah. so talking points. Yes, now we're on the same page. Yeah, I've been doing that bit for like. <laughs> I also indefinitely is out there, and all right, so talking during the movie. Um, you go first, please, because I got. <clears throat> okay. I need to compose myself. I need to figure out what I'm doing. Well, I mean, yeah, you, I was right here with you, though. So, Jesus Christ, man, get yourself together, man. You think after a full season, you be together. And uh, I want to thank, by the way, I want to thank for the full season. I want to thank uh, Blue Moon for unofficially sponsoring my uh, talk, Royals Talking Points. Listen, it's, it's always coming soon when it's Blue Moon. Mmm, that's tasty. Hey, it's no joke when it's Coke. We're going to get sponsored one way or another. All right, so the first thing that... Um, that really it captures me, especially uh, you don't you don't take it for you don't really appreciate it when you're a child or when you first watch the movie. But as an adult, we're doing my our deep dive rewatch mm -hmm. was the opening credits the for the uh, MGM and the United Artists. It just took me back to those times like, man, they don't got a lot of money, but they're going to blow my mind. Type, mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? It was very good. United Artists went double on the intro, too. Oh, yeah. MGM, UA. <laughs> yeah, and then just UA. Came back, yeah, yeah. In case this doesn't work, we was also part. It wasn't just our fault. So that I really love that it was definitely a throwback '80s okay, intro. Let me ask you a question, real quick. Are you taking any prescription medication? Oh, I love that you say that because that lets me know that you're trying to. He just he he's trying to get to know you. He's trying to get to know you. He's trying to get to know you. And 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 one thing that's funny you say it's not funny you say that. Of course, this is a film by Barry Levinson, and we'll talk um, in depth about him later. And 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 not just a throwaway line. I clearly, like I said, we'll talk about it. But Dustin Hoffman gets top billing. Was one of the first things I noticed. Okay. And, and you see why. Yeah. If you, if you want, you know, we'll talk about it. Oh, and speaking of what we will talk about later on in the episode uh, for Cast Crew and You, we will be talking to a the the AD and producer of Rain Man and so much more uh, Titan in Hollywood films. Uh, you know so much stuff that he's worked on. We'll get into some of that with David McGifford later on in the show. Also, uh, Hans Zimmer, this was one of his... Not, not one of his, but it was way early in his career. And I was surprised to find out that there was only, like, he only composed two tracks, a total of 12 minutes for that score. But they used variations of those tracks throughout the whole, the whole movie. They just keep reoccurring. 
And it is effective. If, if you're talking about getting the most out of the least, and they did it, because I'll tell you this, that was one of those times where the music didn't do it for me, but it also didn't take away from it. Like, sometimes we, when you don't have music, it's okay not to have to have it. The story's strong enough, which this one was. Mm-hmm. It plays through. It's just like, hey, dude, just, hey, man, you're the rice. Just something to make you digest the meat before you get to the other stuff. Like, yeah. uh, one of the things that I really loved about it is, is uh, at first, when we first meet Charlie Babbitt, when we first meet him, like, for like two or three seconds, you you get the ultimate. Oh, like here's this prick, f- because you see this f- Lamborghini flying through the sky, like wh- wh- what assholes on the ground yeah. waiting for this f- lamb? You know what I'm saying? And, and you and so and then immediately you got to check yourself because it's not his. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So and so now you're trying to figure out, okay, what does he do? And then immediately you're rewarded with. This is Wolf of Wall Street before Wolf of Wall Street. He is yeah. in there trying to get people to pass e- EPA inspections. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. crazy, man. So I'm off and running at that point. Yeah, Tom Cruise. I remember when I watched this as a kid. It was so it was such a different experience watching it recently. Because when I watched it as a kid, I, I always loved Tom Cruise, and I never picked up on the fact that he was like an, a terrible person. Essentially, I didn't understand how. St- he was like all the little subtle ways that he was just really a piece of shit and this time it really stood out to me like he finds out he has a brother he steals him away he doesn't even want to spend time with him as soon as they get to that hotel he shuffles him in a room he's on the phone trying to figure out how to get that money how to turn his brother into the money that he deserves and i just thought like if i if i found out that i (laughs) yeah If I found out that I was that I had an estranged brother and I just reconnected with him, like I don't know, I feel like there'd be a little bit more of a reunion. But he's so far reserved and emotionally cut off, and you find that out in the beginning when. Um, but why? Probably because of his daddy issues. Dad, say it, you're big, and one but of it's you, so 100% correct. like it's so clear that like um, one of the like one of the one of the stereotypes not one of the stereotypes one of the symptoms of autism is that you have like an inability to forge emotional connections and uh charlie he doesn't have autism but he's like in the same boat as his brother he's in the car with Susanna, and he finds out that his dad dies and there's literally no emotional response here sorry about the weekend Susanna. She's like, sorry about the weekend, sorry about the weekend, Charlie. <laughs> but even before that, she was like, I feel like I'm in a car with no one. Yeah, I am. <laughs> I'm in a car for an hour. Like, you want to talk? Let's talk. I don't want to talk now. We're yelling. That's not talking. That's not talking. <laughs> you want to talk, Susanna? Yeah, but he's, and that's the other thing I have is that the dialogue in this is performed so naturally. Like, the way it flows is so the the way it, it's it feels like real life the way people repeat themselves the way they talk over each other and um and yeah exactly when when charlie and Susanna in the car you want to talk let's talk um and he keeps repeating that over and over again i did think it was funny speaking of communication that uh charlie is stuck the two main people that charlie has to communicate with in this movie there's a language barrier with both of them like his girlfriend, there's there's that language barrier because she's from a different place, and then with his brother, of course, there's the communication barrier because he, he he's autistic. Um, so you're constantly watching Tom Cruise frustratingly try to convey himself to these people that have to struggle to understand him. To to segue on what you said earlier, I agree with you that that 
that from okay you said daddy issues and that's exactly what i had down over over here but it, to me it's deep-rooted daddy issues so much to the fact that he won't let anyone get close to him mm-hmm. he gotta do it himself he always have to be this perfect shell of not letting people get close and like and she kept saying that she was like i i, I told you i was gonna come, go away with you i don't even know who i'm going to be a serial killer like so like you said to your point like he to, to his own sense was a, the exact opposite he was autistic in his his own way so that was one of the things now i do want to say something uh valerio galino uh who played susan she to me really you know what she really made me think of and who she made me think of she made me think of a butcher's girlfriend in pulp fiction you know, remember, you, you remember her from Hot Shots? Yeah, that that is yes, that Falling is. I, when I did, when I moved her up, that is her. So, yeah. Oh, oh, topper or whatever, whatever. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> oh my, oh. USA up all night. Talking about it's funny you mentioned Dustin Hoffman being the being the top build uh, as far as the credits go. It's crazy because he is the title character. And I noticed I was watching the runtime, and he doesn't pop up until like 19 minutes into the movie. That, that's like it's and crazy. How does he pop up in Daddy's car? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so one of the things that really caught my attention early in the film is, and I've heard you mention this before, is when the doctor's in the scene with uh, Tom Cruise there in the hallway, and he's explaining to him what his brother is, what what Raymond is. He's explaining he's a, he's an autistic savant. Mm-hmm. And he's he really just couldn't even understand it. He was like he was really trying to comprehend it. Like like wait a minute, so he's good, but he's he's not good. Like I'm like I don't and, and when I tell you, I'm surprised Tom Cruise had a career after the <laughs> he said to this. <laughs> <laughs> Red book, yeah. red book. Like, like, oh, don't think <laughs> squeezed and pulled and hurt my neck in 1988. Are you, <laughs> <kidding> <laughs> <me>? <laughs> you know why? Because he saw his name in there. Yeah. Well, that's that's that goes back to why, like, I think Charlie Babbitt is so up because he just found out that his bro. Because if you notice, Raymond says number 18 in 1988. My first, if my brother, if that was my brother, my first reaction would not be. So stop acting like a fucking. Re- My first reaction would be, "Who are these other seventeen people that hurt you? Let me see what's happening here." But but Charlie literally only gives a shit about himself. One of the things that we can't run over there, right there, is that it's not the line that we can't run over. It's not about who's saying the line. That line, that line signifies a time in cinema to where you can say, shit. and it was like, man, they just said it. Like uh-huh. you literally say. I'm not even going to say one of the things that could say, but he literally just told his brother, who's an autistic savant, you're fucking like, like this with conviction and it's your brother. Yeah. Yeah. Just completely insensitive and which it was a very different time. And I mean, you saw when they go to the hospital or the doctor's office in, um, uh, I can't remember gun three, gun three, some whatever. And the doctor in there, he's like, I don't know much about any of this, but, I heard something, and he just starts experimenting with him with a calculator. Yeah, dude, I was just, no, I was, dude, I was just pointing to it. Please tell me, please tell them what I was, this is why I show is great. Please tell me what, I was just going to go to this. Special abilities, X-Men, Doctor <laughs> show. He, yeah. he's, like, like, he's like, I read about this. Yeah. He's like, like what? I'm like, you sick yeah, what are like, you doing? You go to the doctor to get answers, and now the doctor wants answers. Let me tell you something here. <laughs> But he, oh, oh, I'm sorry, I, I'm foreshadowing here, but that did bring me to one of my lines. Oh, 
It was like, he can work for NASA. And then he was like, well, if you if I got a dollar and I take 50 cents, how much you gave? Like 70 So much for NASA, Ray. Yeah, how, much, <laughs> how much is a candy bar? $100. So, so how much of a shiny car? $100. Yeah, he tried but, to tell you, Charlie. He doesn't understand money. did you money. hear his brother say, so much for NASA, Ray? Yeah. <laughs> That's f***ed up, bro. Yeah. Literally. That's where the line is. That's up bro comes from that movie and that moment nobody ever other than line that up bro until charlie babbitt did raymond babbitt like that on that day yeah. in 19 whatever the fuck, that line was born i gotta give it to dustin hoffman because like the, uh, the going back to watching this as a kid versus watching this adult when i watched it as a kid dustin hoffman was literally just comic relief for me because i did not understand I just didn't understand the implications of his character, but watching it now, I really appreciated it more than ever, how he could master, like, when you're watching his face in these different scenes, he is masterfully expressing fear, uh, anxiety, sadness, but all through the eyes of, like, an autistic person, and it just, like, it's heartbreaking, especially in that doctor's office scene where... Uh, the doctor asks the doctor asks him. He's like, "Are, are uh, Ray? Are are you autistic?" No, definitely not. Definitely not. Like that part right there was was it, it was it was a heartbreaking performance because and it, he does it so well. Where sometimes you're feeling bad for him, then you're kind of you're finding humor in what what in his antics and his quirks. And as you're finding humor in it, you end up feeling bad at the same time because it's like, I should not be laughing at this because this is this man is hurting. And you can see it in his eyes. One of the things, though, and you're not wrong about that, and we're definitely going to dive into that later when we, keep, when we continue to talk about this. One of the things that, that I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if most people know this was, uh, definitely, uh, of course, people call them callbacks, uh, Easter eggs, or homages to movies. If you notice, I think he won around eighty to eighty-five, eighty-six thousand dollars when they went to the casino. Um, that's mm -hmm. the same amount of money in the movie The Hangover that they won eighty thousand uh, dollars. That when when they went to the casino when they mocked that exact same scene, it was eighty thousand dollars. You know what's up about those winnings is that after Charlie uses Raymond to win all that money, he then uses Raymond. As like a human calculator sitting at the bar to determine how he's going <laughs> to spend all of his money. All right, so, well, no, so man, remind me one, remind me one more time. How much was a loan? Okay, how much? All right, like he's got nothing. He's 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 helping him go through. Before, did he not have his back when he went up to the office? A guy has a good day at the table, and this is how you do. It. No, he had his back. He was protecting his money. Yeah, I would guarantee that his brother was the last thing on his mind. Um, what do you want to know? His name's Ray? I'll tell you <laughs> yeah. what you need. <laughs> counting cards. Mm -mm. Counting cards. Mm -mm. Oh, oh, I'm going to tell you one of, the, one of the touching moments in the film for me towards the end. If you notice to me, it was one of the times that I'm going to touch on this later. Um, and I don't. Uh, it was when uh, Charlie was uh, eating with Raymond um, at the end of the film. It was towards the end, but he was eating with a toothpick. And I, I think that was definitely done on purpose to really oh, show. Oh, Tom Cruise. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's towards the end. They, they, like you saw, uh, Char you saw um, Raymond's character eating out of his hand, and you saw Charlie eating with a toothpick. And I was just like, it was just like maybe for like six, seven seconds. I'm like, oh, shit, I get it. You know yeah, that saying? that's one thing that I really liked about this movie was the was how realistic it was in the character development and like the growth of Charlie and Raymond throughout the movie, like. 
there's never one of those like blinding change overnight. Like I'm, I'm, I've had this, I've had this like road of Damascus experience and now I'm completely changed. Like even at the very end of the movie, Charlie has only changed ever so slightly, but he's a little bit better and it's realistic. And the same thing with Raymond is that he still has to go back to the home because that's where he's better off. Like I feel like today it would have been completely different. This is one of this is one of the I will say this. This is one of the better endings to a film because it was more one of the most honest endings to a film that I think we've ever covered. I mean, we you have to, know they they originally it was originally written for uh, Charlie to end, or Raymond to end up with Charlie, but Dustin Hoffman pushed for it to be the other way where he's like, no, oh, this he is needs more gut wrenching. This is more put it in term. This is, and that's why that's what I'm saying because if he does end up with them, yeah, we feel good. We go home and now we want to see another movie, but mm-hmm. because, because but now. We we fiend for we you know why we love the movies where you get the person at the end because once upon a time there was a movie where the person didn't get them yeah and because of because that movie has that much courage we now get the love oh no I got you got to come home to me mm-hmm. I'm coming for you baby yeah. you know what I'm saying <laughs> this uh, yet again this this how dare they not you're welcome YouTube you're welcome America you're welcome Brazil Beirut Nepal Guam did you notice uh, after Susanna leaves, there there is a, a severe decline in the civility that he treats his brother with. Uh, no, well, kind of, yeah. But uh, I noticed that, like, so they're all right. Presidential suite, Ray. They're in the presidential suite in the first hotel they stay in. Susanna leaves. From that point on, it's shitty motels on the side of the road. Like even the motel where he's like. Hot water burn baby, hot water burn baby. If you look at the shower curtain in that hotel, it's like got stains on it, rips in it. And at first I was like, all right, maybe he's just being more careful with his money because of everything that's happening with the loan. But but then he uh, he had a couple hundred dollars after after these motels. Say, about a little TV. Yeah, <laughs> which a couple hundred dollars, that little black and white TV. Holy well, you got a first like fucking 80 that was yeah. That was top of the line technology. Yeah, it was radio shit. The car phone. There was no Best Buy children. Yeah. <laughs> my thing is this. So my point is this. You know what? I wasn't gonna bring this up till later. The fact. Well, yeah. I'm glad you said that because while she was around, it was nice stuff. But guess what? Well, guess who? Guess who? Like whack a mole popped back up when that eighty thousand got popped. That's true. She, she heard it through the grapevine. And, and oh, the first thing oh. she says is, "I'm unemployed now." Uh, I bet. <laughs> yeah. Hey, yeah. 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 You know. I just, I just, and, but she was talking cold hard on that phone. She was like, he said something like, so because we're not engaged, you're like, well, what's going on here? Then they go like, no, you can't just tease us with that. You, nah, we're only f***ing with Susanna. Because no, but I'm that, not just f***ing with Susanna because I know. Well, I am because no. Susanna is the one voice of true moral, like she's the one moral company. She wouldn't have made this. it past that first hour on that road trip for me. All the f***ing questions she was asking, like, I just want to know why you're not talking. Whatever the end of I'm like, damn, we're not even <laughs> Halfway because you lied to me. You lied to me. I tell you to go so apologize to him, and you go in there and you, you yell at him. You make you were it feel just worse. 97% naked in a tub. The other 3% was suds. I'm doing this like two picks. It was a freaking 246 two picks on the ground and four left in the damn thing. Three, whatever. You are a vagina savant. So when they are, uh, one thing I want to appreciate about this no. is uh, when they're pulling Don't in. Don't you put that on me, Ricky Bobby. <laughs> Don't you put that on me. When they're pulling into uh, Vegas, one thing I noticed is that 
well, two things about the pool in the Vegas. The first thing is that there is no, like, they don't have that, the stereotypical, we're in Vegas now, baby, bright lights, uh, big city, bam and music. Like, none of that happens when they, it is, it's smooth, in, they smooth way in. It's subtle, they, yeah, they don't. The it, laxative of Las Vegas, they just yeah, smooth in. It, there's almost, yeah, and the, that, that there's this one shot when they're driving in, and I don't know how they did it, and I love that because it was a great shot. It they're they're in the convertible, they're driving, and the shot the shot starts out as a close up on that little black and white TV that Ray's watching, and they are driving, so they're in motion going forward. And this shot is, and you would think this shot, okay, the person's in the back seat with a camera shooting this shooting this TV, but then as they're still driving, this. Shot pulls all the way up above the car and the car continues driving away so i don't know how that th this is not digital because this is 80s it had to be a rolling jib that slowed down like they had a jib on a rolling crane and it slowed down at the first time to stop but still back up it was steady and it was a perfect shot that's the only thing i think of one of the other things that i did want to talk about uh one of the, the talking points that people really don't talk about that the trustee at the hospital knew how Charlie uh, Charlie's dad really was because see when when Charlie was so messed up that you really want to get any bits bits and pieces of how messed up his dad was what did he do to him did he mm -hmm. beat on him did he not love him and he says like hey man I stole my dad's car and it's like okay yet again look it's, I don't know if that was spawned Ferris Bueller the whole my dad car thing like you hear oh, even, this, even the way he's talking about it in the, yeah in yeah the yeah garage with yeah. It. yeah. Yeah, that, that that that's that's very big to me. And then, but my my point was is like, damn, Charlie's dad was so bad that his friend, his really good friend, said not only did he take on his brother and promise to do it, he was not for the money for him. He truly cared about his brother mm -hmm. and the well being. And number two, he looked at Charlie. Uh, Charlie said, "I don't blame you for how you feel about your dad. Like 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 I'm his friend and I get it." Oh yeah, so there is some yeah yeah yeah. So he's like, I don't I don't blame you. He still tried to give him two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Like I mean, it's crazy. It, it was messed up, though. I think that they that even after, well, not after the dad died, but throughout all those years, they never reached out to Charlie and he said, asked that several times. Why did yeah, you tell me I have my brother? And the only thing that the doctor said was, oh, "What would you have done?" That's not. That's not for you to decide, doctor. That's for the if the. But if it is because you, he's a, the doctor only because he's trustee, David. Only because if you he was tell just a doctor, the didn't know. you tell the brother that that he has a brother that's the end of the story and what the brother does with now, that's it not is on dad's him. wishes i'm with you on a moral compass but if that's not in the dad's wishes you don't do it yeah but he nah, the dad he even knows that the dad's an asshole <laughs> so he should have went behind him so, like you're the trustee of the know. three million dollar estate <laughs> whatever all i know is I, is I'm he not... the trustee of the judas what i don't understand what's going on is it, is it, okay all right uh, i should have uh, never brought up the trustee I just, I just want to let you in on a little secret. Oh, my gosh. Kmart sucks. Oh, my God. Oh. <laughs> that, oh. That, that goes back to your, because you, you brought up Jerry Maguire with the uh, show me the money. That was another thing when, he's, when he said Kmart sucks. It reminded me of Jerry Maguire because, remember, Jerry Maguire called a bunch of shit because of their Reebok line. Oh, they did. Yeah. I don't know what it is with Tom Cruise just in his pictures wanting to test the waters as far as uh, pissing off. Well, advertisers one, one, one of the things i'm going to tell you i love one of the, the one of our most successful episodes of this season was playing trains and automobiles and one of the things i loved about this film when i did the rewatch was some of the most pivotal scenes happens around planes trains and automobiles it is a road trip the trains 
the panic the, when the first time he really the first time we see Ray, uh, Charlie uh, Ray really go crazy is with by the plane. He's mm -hmm. like, hey, like, like, oh, and so the ending with the train and of course the automobile the ride when when Tom Cruise loses. That's so, true. So in that the, order. Oh no. But yeah, I mean, oh, that's almost, in that order. Yeah, oh, no, yeah. he lost it with the planes. Uh -huh. The train is last. So his planes all over. But my point is, is we we previewed the film earlier. But the significance of all the emotions that happens around it. So we've made a Ferris Bueller reference. We've made like like all these. And it's references. got the eighties synthesizer score. Oh yeah, definitely. But but the reason why I brought that up is to say this before we get on. I know we've been on talking points for a while. But the, if we can end it on this, one of the things that they made it very clear, and I think that everyone did their research on it, was that for an, uh, an autistic savant, routine is everything. Mm -hmm. The only thing they can make sense of is numbers and, and it's a pattern, the, the algorithm of life. And the moment that routine is broken, they're going to, two things can make them go crazy or make them spaz. It's when the routine is broken or when something traumatic from their past happened to them that like, water, hot water, hot water, hot water, like something mm -hmm. like that. So that's why I want to say that. Yeah, yeah that all... That that all checks out too. I worked for a I worked for a uh, I did transportation for uh, autistic adults for a nice stint of time, and they. That's why I say Dustin Hoffman's performance is done. I don't think even as well as he did it. I don't think he can get away with it now. Like even Angela, when we were watching it, she was like, "I don't know if uh, no Tom can't get away with it. Dustin oh, could." I, but I mean, there's people take issue with somebody having a somebody pretending to have a handicap because they're taking the job away from somebody with the actual handicap that should have got that role. That's the. But here on TTFT, we this is a disability free show because when we did Coffee Town, we were cheering on that scene. Oh, yeah. like, we fully supported uh, that. I I firmly believe Dustin Hoffman was the best man for the role. I stand by it. I don't. I just don't hey, think twenty twenty would stand by it. Remember. I am Sam. Uh, yeah. home, you uh, never, uh, never go uh, for. Uh, he, he, he went home and hit yeah. him behind All right, yeah. so you know, okay, you know. All right, okay, yes. all right. That's a, that's what I'm saying. And those are talking <laughs> points. There's nowhere better way than in talking points. Yes. Hey, there we go. Boom. Let's get right into big bikes. All right, we have ten bikes about Rain Man for you today. Number ten, working title. Screenwriter Barry Moreau knew he wanted the title to be a name that could be mispronounced into something else before landing on Rain Man for Raymond, No Man for Norman was considered. I do like both, but I guess it's one of those times where you look at it and say, yeah, Rain Man works better. Yeah, I don't think I could make that decision now that Rain Man is so like deeply embedded in, no, our, in like, the pop culture. And then No Man and Damon for my sci-fi freaks out there. <laughs> and, you, they don't know the movie, it's okay. Uh, number nine, Kodak moments. The photos shown as the end credits play are the actual photos that Raymond takes throughout the movie. Um, fact check myself on that fact because later on in reading, I did see that the camera that uh, uh, Raymond is using is, I think it's called like a uh, uses 126 film, and it takes essentially it takes square pictures, and the the photos at the end are a different aspect ratio. So I don't know if it was cheated, but the the they were trying to convey the fact that these are the photos that he's taken throughout the movie and number eight royal approval according to reports rain man was one of princess diana's favorite films mm -hmm. you see how that worked out for her so what you're telling me is never take over one of your effects again <laughs> you just said royal and i want to jump in please don't punish me sir number seven oak and burnett 
400 Oaken Burnett, where Raymond says he has to get his underwear from, is actually the Vernon Manor Hotel in Cincinnati. The hotel where Charlie, Raymond, and Susanna stay in the beginning of the movie. Holy Trinity. Steven Spielberg considered directing and even made a lot of notes in preparation for the project. He backed out because George Lucas needed him to begin work on Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade. Spielberg gave his notes to Barry Levinson, our guy. Sidney Pollack actually came in between Spielberg and Levinson to direct. Levinson actually turned down the movie when his first offer to him, directing Good Morning Vietnam, starring Rest in Peace Robin Williams instead. Number five, bam. 97X. BAM was a real independent Ohio radio station. Unfortunately, they were not the future of rock and roll as they shut down completely in 2011. Have you ever heard of the no-fly list? When Rayman was offered as a in-flight film, many airlines deleted the sequence where Rayman runs through the statistics of airline accidents. You know why? Because that's really up, especially that was way before 9-11. Qantas, however, left it in. You know why? Because they were on the low end and you needed to go somewhere in like Australia just to get in LA. Come on, let's go. They even promoted one of the writers first class when he traveled on the airline. Now, director Barry Levinson admitted that Ray's comment about Qantas being the only company to never have a fatal crash. Yeah, that was made up. But turned out to be kind of true. True, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I guess Dustin Hoffman was so deep embedded into the savant role that even when he's making up facts and in, in improv, in oh, improv, it ends up being factual. It's gonna happen. Number three, casting. Dustin Hoffman was originally cast to play Charlie Babbitt, but was so inspired after seeing a savant play full concertos on the piano, he chose to play Raymond instead and insisted that Raymond be an autistic savant instead of mentally disabled. Jack Nicholson, Robert De Niro, and Mel Gibson all turned down the part of Raymond. Randy and Dennis Quaid were also considered to play Raymond and Charlie. Dustin Hoffman originally wanted Bill Murray to play Charlie, and Tom Hanks and Robin Williams were also considered for the role of Charlie. How many different ways this movie could have ended up if it had not been? I would have loved to have seen Hanks and, 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 uh, Hanks and Murray. I would have loved to have seen that. Well, Bill Murray would have been... Bill Murray would have been Charlie, and so would have Hanks been. They both they were both uh, eyed for Charlie. No, I know I, I could. I, I could have saw I could have saw Murray as as, Char, as Raymond. Uh, I, I could have man. It's not man. Murray can, can do anything. Not, can Murray can do Tom anything. Hanks, Forrest Gump. I'm, yeah, but yeah, and that was his best shot at it. Yeah, which if and I which I, I which if, I liked. If I have to go like uh, who did it best? Oh, because because you've already as, seen as far it. I know uh, Forrest Gump is classic. Yeah, but if I had to choose between Forrest, Dustin Hoffman as Rayman or Forrest Gump or Tom Hanks as Forrest Gump, it's Dustin Hoffman. No, I'm talking about Murray, man. I'm talking about Mur Murray. Murray. As oh, oh, you, oh, you don't remember? Oh, what about Bob? Boom! Season over. Get out of here. That Headphones was, off. Over it's over, top. brother. It's over. These 24-inch mental movie pythons. It's over. What about Bob? <laughs> no, he did it first. You didn't see the setup. I guess. Oh maybe. my god! You, yeah. Oh no! You wish you thought of it first. What the hell's, really? Right. Cut it out, man. That's all right. Whatever. That's it. Take number two. No, bro. We're on Rain, man. I said, what about Bob? What are you talking about? I are said, you, are Bill Murray. You, 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 you said Forrest Gump, and so that's like you playing playing spades or something. You got like a little Joker, and I'm like, I come over there like, oh, with the big. I just said, what about Bob because Bill Murray? Is there, a, is there a disabled person in What About Bob? 
Uncle Old CD Sassy. is taken taken real serious around this world. And the fact that you're playing with it right now is f***ing with <laughs> okay. me. Oh, he looked normal to you? Yeah, but uh, I'm uh, talking about the spectrum of like oh OCD no oh no get here. with the program the like, time is a spectrum okay <laughs> you're being so stop being weird man <laughs> two you gonna take oh, number two no little faith you have little faith in me and my analogies go back and rewatch it okay hey neither Cruz nor Hoffman had that was why you said take two <laughs> little. We deserve this. We've worked hard this year. He's worked so much harder than me. There's a don't put the meter in right. Mm. Is... Mm. <laughs> I'm gonna use that same percentage. It's gonna look like Pulp Fiction to Jackie Brown all over again. Oh, you're gonna tell me revelation later. Nope. That's for the Patreon. Nope, that was off camera. Okay, I, I respect that. All right, little faith. Neither Cruz nor Hoffman had much faith in the film's potential, especially Hoffman and jokingly referred to it as two smokes in a car. Uh, Hoffman actually pleaded with the director, Barry Levinson, to let him out. This is the worst work of his life. And by social media, before there was social media presence, he would probably still feel that way. Mm -hmm. But it, this is like the most quiet classic ever. And he went on to, like, it, one of the scenes in this movie, which I'll get to in the Seven Minutes in Heaven, was one of his favorite scenes of his whole career, in mm -hmm. hindsight. Are you talking about the magic scene? Uh, phone boost. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, we, we, we will definitely get to that. So, yeah, that was the key. Uh, so, and can you take uh, number one? Number one, eye to eye. Due to Raymond's autism, he struggles with making eye contact. He actually never makes eye contact with anyone in the entire film until the end when he tells Charlie goodbye. I like that. Very good. All right, those are the big facts for Rain Man. And uh, now that you are a little bit smarter, let's move on to Seven Minutes in Heaven. Well, if you don't remember, if you've never seen this show, you just kind of had to make it to the season finale. Seven Minutes in Heaven was we, where we talk about the best scenes in the film. It makes us feel like we're in heaven for seven minutes. It makes you feel like you're a little kid doing something you shouldn't supposed to do. So anything should take you back to that moment where you're a kid feeling really good and just free, naively free, mm -hmm. in seven minutes in heaven. So David, why don't you lead us off? Uh, my first favorite scene is in the diner. Um, not going to have any toothpicks. Definitely not going not gonna to have my maple syrup. It's going to be late. Uh, like that. That, that all the way to the number 18 in 1988 squeezed and pulled and hurt my neck it was such a humorous scene but it also that that was a scene that solidified for me how much of a old charlie is uh the fact that he is um he's totally impatient with his brother who he knows has a disability he he doesn't he doesn't cater to it for a second and that's the scene where he actually calls him in a fucking r word uh and screams it into his ear. Yes. Frowned upon on this show. And you could see it in his eyes how much of like how selfish he is and how he's always looking out for himself when he realizes you could see the wheels turning in uh, Charlie's head as soon as he realizes that uh, Raymond memorized the whole phone book. You could see it working like, okay, he's not a complete dumbass. How can I Trivia use time. this? How far did he get? Jeez. Nope. But specifically, the I middle think. of the G's, and the names that he landed on were actually his real life in laws. Mmm, triple points for you. One of the things here's the thing. I'll say this: they played up Charlie as 
rightfully so from the beginning like they said there was the tone you mentioned earlier that, that we didn't see dustin hoffman until 19 minutes in but one of the things that i want to say that one of the best scenes in the film to me to, to like it really is one of the it really was one of my top three scenes but i am going to lead with it because i don't want to forget it later and i feel like it deserves to lead is the bathroom scene with the where 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 Raymond goes and gets the picture of him and his father, and he just, Charlie's like, "What? Did, where'd you get this from?" Like to me, it was we at that moment. It's not that, like you said, it wasn't that Charlie had his. Oh, he woke up. Oh, I'm the best brother in the world. But mm -hmm. if there was any fucking soul inside of him, it started to turn at that moment to see like there was a change in him. I, I will not. I can't. No, let me take the back. It wasn't a change. There was just a level up of he's not. He's he's not the, the ultimate. Well, now he's just a jerk now. He has a brother, but he. Well, that he, was the moment that he was finally able to make that connection that that uh, Raymond was the one that Rain was singing Man. to him, singing to him, and he was all, all of a sudden able to connect all those memories he, that you he heard had with Raymond, him. but it yeah. was Raymond, and so he, he, he was able to connect all these memories that he had with what he thought was an imaginary friend. So now all brother. of a sudden he has all these memories of his brother. Not to mention. He's also witnessing the fact that his brother remembers him, so now it's real. Now it's not just Oh, he had been remembering that from the beginning. He's like, you know this car, this, that, and the other? He knew the car. He knew the dad, but he, that was, the, that was the first time that he referenced, like, you know, you thought it was funny with the toothpaste, and right. and I would sing to you. Like, at that point, what, I think you it sing started to me. And you could see that that's actually one of I, I've got that as one of my favorite scenes too the rain the rain man scene when when he realizes that it was an imaginary friend and you could actually you could see him changing subtly because that it's that night that he actually calls Susanna and tries to patch things up with her and actually is apologetic for the first time and is actually listening so yeah that that was a that was a fantastic scene and there was that he uh i read that dustin hoffman did not know he was frustrated during shooting that because he just didn't know how to play that part he didn't know how to perform he didn't oh, but know he did magnificently. let me tell you why because here's the thing that was one of the first times we saw that he was really being a big brother mm -hmm. to to Charlie. He was like, something must have happened. Like, he remembers something like, baby, hot water burning baby. I never caught that when I was watching it uh, and until I watched it last night. That part when, when he went after the fact, when they're back in the room and he's like, gotta go to Walbrook. And that's where Charlie realizes that's why they sent you away. So he's been jealous of this guy. Charlie has been jealous of Raymond for you know, having the dad's favor, getting the dad's money. And at that moment, he realized that at least one time in his life, his parents chose him over, like, the, ultimately, his parents chose Charlie over Raymond because they sent Raymond away purely because they they were under the impression that he, it was not safe for him to be around Charlie. And I think that was a turning moment for Charlie as well, to know that, because that, that, had to patch something up emotionally with the, everything that's going on internally bet with his dad, all the complication there. Oh, that's oh, that's uh, that's that's amazing. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, that damn, it's, it's hard to top that. So the only way I can top that is by saying something that you said earlier when you said Forrest Gump. Uh, again, a lot. It's just I just feel like a lot of films maybe oh, not. I'm, so, I'm sorry. One more thing about that hotel scene. That was all shot in one take. And Dustin Hoffman being frustrated with not knowing how to bring that to life he channeled that frustration into the the anxiety the the hot water burn baby he just let it all out and it was all that everything everything in that room was shot in one take 
Now, that's amazing. That that's truly what happened. I cannot say that. And nothing short of that was amazing. One one of the things I want to bring up that you mentioned earlier was the Forrest Gump thing. Um, to me, we all remember the scene from Forrest Gump. He's like, "Your mama sure do care about your schooling." Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> yeah. And then when I'm doing the deep dive and doing the rewatch, I'm like, "Oh, shit. he like." Uh, 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 and he just comes and sits on the bed, the reverse cuckold. Yeah, he's not even going to watch. He just wants to sit there and know what's going on behind him while watching TV. Yeah, what are you doing? <laughs> I'm just well, get out, get out, Ray. Man, when it cuts to him walking back to his room and sitting there, it's so sad. <laughs> like I, I feel Susanna and everything that Susanna says to Charlie in that hotel room that night. Is so dead on about you know. I still blame her. Why didn't she know there was two moans, men moans going on there? Is that normal for her? She was in the moment. Right. Has she been in that moment where she's heard two men moaning? You can't distinguish one man from two men moaning. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, ask Susanna. Hey, uh, yeah, I will. If you yeah, want if, if she wants to talk, we'll talk. Uh, scenes. Okay. Yeah. So. Uh, what difference does it make where you buy your underwear? Underwear is underwear. I think this autism thing is a bunch of bullshit. You are in there somewhere. Boxer shorts. After that's like Tom Cruise's flip out in front of the tr in front of the car after he's you know Oak and Burnett, four hundred Oak Street, Cincinnati, Kmart. Oh, we're getting further away from Kmart. The, all that is great. Tom Cruise's flip out in front of the car is great. But the funniest part to me about all that is Tom Cruise is is bleeding his soul out on the road. His frustrations just airing them out, and Dustin Hall Raymond is still in his own little world. Because after you know, I think this autism thing is a bunch of bullshit. You're in there somewhere. Boxer shorts. That's his, <laughs> he's still in the car going on about the fucking Kmart. This so this is my thing, and like you said, that freak out on the highways. I really felt like that borderline when an actor's frustrated with another actor. I really like. I'm like all right, is he truly... Yeah. <clears throat> that must have been the day Dustin Hoffman had everybody out of his trailer chanting from the company. Tom, Tom, yeah. Tom, 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 Tom. Shout out to the punch-in shot on the watch, the Roly, when they when he goes to Cal upon it. He pawns the Roly. Never noticed that as a kid either. Me neither. I did I'm not, not know what that meant. Or he's taking his watch off, he's walking into What's a pawn doing? shop. What's what he is doing? That? Is he finna beat oh, someone up? stupid little innocent <laughs> child me had no idea about the punching punch shot. Kids, that's a punching shot. If anybody's listening out there. So, but now as an adult, you're like, oh, I know, I know what it's like to have to. I was like, oh man. <laughs> I thought he was giving blood. He's, it's rough. Okay. I know where he's at He's now. down to his last. Yeah. <laughs> so he goes in there. He does. They get some money. They go buy the suits. They go to the tailor. They go buy the suits. They get the nice suits. Everybody looks nice. And so this is my point. This is either arrogance on the part of the filmmaker or a mistake. Either way, I'm just glad that I know that I'm writing the scenario. They go like is everything I said correct? They he pawns the watch. Uh, they get money. They go to the tailor. They get the suits. They go to the casino. They come down the escalator. That was all facts, right? Mm -hmm. The shot of them coming down. The casino, to the casino, when you look at their pants, Tom Cruise's pants is tailored to the T. But Hoffman's pants, uh, Raymond's pants, it still looks clowny. They went to the tailor. There's no way they were, his pants should have still been clowny. This would have been the one time to be like, oh, shit, he's super sharp. But still to convey, convey in our minds visually that he was still an autistic savant, mm -hmm. they have to make the pants that way. 
That's true. Or maybe Charlie was stingy with the money and it's like, oh, no, that, get my pants right. Yeah, it's just lost His pants. He doesn't, he doesn't even notice. He's yeah. answering a question from 30 minutes ago. Out. Yeah, maybe, but no, he was just too excited for his brother at that point. That was the one time we, he was more proud of his brother when he found out he could use him the most. Uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So he would have got him to. I just really think that was a mistake, but but they, so I, I really think they had to meet like, man, f*** the c- continuity. I want this f***ing clown coming down the stairs, and I mean clown, like I want, they want us to see a version of that. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that, and, and t- so that, what do you think about that? I, what I just said, that I think that, I think that, Charlie was still looking out for himself, got himself the good pants, and got, gave Raymond just, you know, whatever. Because that, that, that scene's on my list, too. And now, you don't need to be taping them up down there. It's just right here. Right yeah. The shoulders. Yeah. <laughs> I, like, I... That, that's, that scene was... Because you have the scene in the hotel right before that, or, or shortly before that, and you think, like, all right, Charlie's taking some steps forward. He's getting better. And, and the next... The next scene, he's he's taking advantage of his brother in Vegas to win a bunch of money, but it's really not that simple. Like if you notice, he's got he's on the phone on the payphone. Uh, son of a bitch! Son oh, of yo. a bitch! Oh yeah, he's losing it. That I never really like. I never appreciated the gravity of his situation until I rewatched it as an adult. The fact that Charlie, we had to sell the cars, pay the loan back. Everything like. And that's kind of the the dilemma in life is it's always this push and pull of wanting to be the best person you can be, but then you're always having to navigate that within the circumstances that that life delivers to you. So uh, it, it goes back to that realistic growth, that realistic character growth that this movie has because you see Charlie take a few steps forward in the hotel when he realizes that his brother is Rain Man, but then here comes life. No, Charlie, you're you don't have money money you're completely broke so what does charlie do he is an opportunist and he's got at his, every f- turn mm-hmm. every so he turn. took his he took his brother and that's why i think when it goes back to that first vegas shot when they're pulling into vegas originally it's downplayed it's almost like it's set it's like a premonition that this is it's this is not a celebratory event that's about to transpire here it's it's I think the first, the, out of everything that Charlie did, I think the first genuine moment we really catch from him really showing his brother any love is the moment, it's like, when they're about to go to sleep and he's like, I had to pee first, I had them set the bed right up there by the window like you like it in Vegas. Mm-hmm. And then he's, he's like, I'll teach you how to dance some other time. He's like, no, now, 10 o'clock, with 10 o'clock, he's like... You I got, shouldn't you have got, even brought it up. Right, you got the most famous dancing escort in, in Baytown, whatever. So he, But he teaches him how to dance. And so... To some semblance, it plays up Miss Susan coming back, Susanna coming back in town. He was like, yeah, Char- Charlie Babbitt taught me how to dance. She was like, oh, I knew I can get wet for him again. Like, like, like it's okay now. I knew there's some good in him. Not much. But uh, yeah, I, I love that where he doesn't, uh, where they kiss in the elevator and they come out. The, like, oh. it's, between, it's, between, it's between Raymond oh. and I. And... And Charlie doesn't find out what happened in the elevator until they're with the doctor at the end. He's like, uh, it was wet. Yeah, wet. It was, yeah. Wap versus wall. Wet is lip. Wet ass lips. Yeah, like, like, like that's. Which kind of can be the same thing still. Um, but I thought it was funny that, that Tom Cruise legitimately wants to know what happened in that elevator. He does not find out until the doctor scene. And he's like, you kissed her? Um, yeah, but that was their secret. 
The, the, oh no! Let's not from, let's not forget last time he was in the house. Whoever Raymond Raymond pissed him off so much one time he's like this guy's a f-ing freak. Yeah. <laughs> like, like he said, f-ing freak. Yeah, that's the um, in in Vegas still the uh, if you notice that's the first time that Tom Cruise calls Raymond Rain Man. He's like, come on, Rain Man, mm. let's play some cards. Like that piece of. Sh- because Rain Man is what he called his be- his imaginary best friend, and that is so subtle right there to let you know that he ha- he did not consider Raymond to be that best friend again until the point that he was making him eighty six thousand dollars. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because it's going to make this more organic when I say this. One of the things that you heard the floor general or the the people the eye in the sky in Vegas when they're watching a table when they're winning a lot of money one of the guys says uh, I, he's not he doesn't have a computer he's not catching a whole card and there's no way anybody can um, count into six decks and and what they mean by that is people who count cards they usually count one two maybe three decks mm-hmm. like it's based the tw- movie twenty one is based off of the counting cards like twenty one is a game that can mathematically can be had um, it's an algorithm that's like on the simplest form of the algorithm there's only so many cre- these face cards this that and the other so like when they won their money they were like listen they they brought them to the room it's a very important scene it's a Vegas the scene they bring them in there like listen there's no legal law against what you did but we know what you did and we didn't told everybody else so if you're still playing the odds just take your money and go yeah not like we finna take this back like if we see you again like we have to handle it the other way which we would want to really handle it that way Mm -hmm. but that was really crazy to me but it showed my point is it showed how smart the artistic savant was because you can't just say somebody else is an artistic savant but all throughout the movie they did it with the matchsticks yeah. with the when he when he just sweet that that's charlie starting to realize how can i use this mother mm-hmm. when he was doing it, stop, stop doing that with the and then the, they're in the um rest the restaurant the, little, the, the diner yeah. he's like he said oh we're really we're really junior it's junior yeah d5 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 mm-hmm. d5 25 yeah it's, it's it's crazy but i like it my last point is also it's in the vegas it's in the vegas scene i thought it was a really it was a it was a tender moment when they're uh, learning when he's teaching Raymond the dance and what I liked about that was there that was the first time that there was like physical contact between them and he tried to push it a little more and wanted a hug he's like you want to hug me Ray and he tries to hug and immediately flips out but but he at least in that moment like even Vern said he he wouldn't he won't even let me touch he won't even let me touch him. But it's that, that, there's it, something about Mary thing. Hey, Warren, the baseball right behind you. Oh, yeah. You can go crazy, <laughs> crazy yeah. Um, but he let he held Tom Cruise's hand. He let Tom Cruise put his hand around his back. Um, Gradually. And you fe- and, and and they did it so well because when Tom Cruise asked for the hug, you want it to happen so bad. You just want these brothers to hug it out so badly. You feel and like I, don't know, I thought I thought it was. It was a telling moment for Tom Cruise's character that he requ- he requested the hug. Not only requested it, but asked permission. And this is the same Charlie that back in the back in the room at Walbrook, Vern's telling him he's doing who's on first because that's how he yeah, deals with you being nervous that you're touching all of his stuff. And what does Charlie do? He keeps touching all of his shit. He doesn't even care. He pays no mind to to what's bothering Charlie. But in that moment. He or what's bothering Raymond, but in that moment where they're dancing, he was actually considerate. It's like, can I give you want to you want to give me a hug? 
thank me later for this. Um, I'm going to end. It's going to take me hopefully only two and a half minutes to say this, and these are both worth it. I'm just going to jump right into it. These are my top two scenes of this entire film for di different reasons than you would think. Uh, there's a scene. That oh, so so I didn't. So I remember before we started recording, you said that you had a scene that you hoped that I didn't have. Yes. So that that is the case. I think you touched on it. You were close to where I was going with. But before I get to that one, there is <laughs> a scene. She said. Oh, ooh, there, oh, there. Now we're in scene. There's a scene at the end of the film to where there's there's a doctor at the beginning. Uh, that was a trustee. There, uh, there is uh, there's Charlie. There's uh, Raymond, and there, there's this new guy who he says um, he's just a he's here to recommend what should happen, but he's the T tells him they're not in court. There is a scene. It's very. Are you, are you talking about the end of the film? Yeah. You know that doctor is Barry Levinson. Oh, then, oh, this is even better than 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 Barry. I caught you. I don't, maybe somebody else has caught this, but I know I caught you. Oh, I'm excited. There's a part of the film, go back and watch whenever you get a chance, to where they, I was wondering why they kept it in, some slick little synonym, but I'm I'm not going to keep you waiting. There's a scene at the end when they're talking, and then Barry Levinson's character said, I'm, I'm not here holding, there's there's no accusations, accusations, and then you see Cruz's character looked at him like, I know you f***ed up, he said, no accusations. He says that, and it's like, hold up, nope, that's not that. I, I, I got you. I went back and looked at it like three times. It's like, no, you fucked up the line. That goes back to what, uh, what David McGifford talks about in the interview that Barry Levinson was the kind of director. It's like, that's good enough. Let's move on. Yeah, you, you know, when he's on camera, right. it's probably like. People mess up words all it's the time. Uh, Let's move on. I, maybe he, I, I wanted him to do that. Yeah. Like, no, no, you didn't. You f***er. <laughs> but but go, when you get a chance, please go back and just watch those three seconds. It's a movie match. My says, there's, there's, there's no, no accusations. He's like, no accusations. You know what? I got one more scene. I'm oh, there we go. Oh, 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 oh. You, you have one more too, right? Yeah, D1. Okay, so. Um, D1. Oh, my God. The That's, look, the doctor scene at the end. Um, <laughs> oh, 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 what an, oh, wow. You found it, huh? I just thought that that scene was very. I thought it, surprise. He's railroading me over here. I thought it was awesome because the doctor pretty much spells it out what actually happened. He says, "Oh, so last week you were upset over you know not getting your money, and that's all you cared about. But in the course of seven days, you're telling us you had a change of heart and want to care for him for the rest of your life." And Tom Cruise says, "Yes." And that that is like, and then like he made you believe it. Yeah. Well, what we really sold it is when. When seeing, you're you're watching him plea for his brother, and at this point he has nothing to gain, and he gave the two hundred fifty thousand dollars back. Yeah, and then, and he's doing this thinking that there was a connection made, and then there's that heartbreaking moment where you know, do you want to go back to Walbrook? Yeah. Do you want to stay with Charlie? Yeah. And he and he gets to the point where he's the the doctor is beating him down so hard that for the first time. Charlie, who is usually the one berating him and mm -hmm. making him uncomfortable, putting him in a corner, he stops it. And he not only stops it, but he stops it at his own demise. He concedes and, and gives up on even trying to win this fight purely for the sake of not having to watch his brother sit there and be humiliated again. Like, you don't have to humiliate him. And then the the tip of the iceberg is when the doctors leave the room and it's just Tom, it's, it's just Charlie and Raymond sitting in there. So there's, there's no show here. He's not putting on any airs. 
it was the first selfless moment. He says, I like having you for my brother. I really like, I really like having you as my, my big brother. And he really means that because he's talking, it's just him and his autistic brother. So there's like, there's nothing for him to gain in that other than that's how he feels and he wanted to say it. So that was like the ultimate, like, redemption for Charlie. I can't even say that you're wrong about that. I, I definitely think that it was a, a moment of, a moment that I can say that, that, that again, that transcends like a, a normal film into something that's more of like a space with the dialogue. <clears throat> All right, what was and, your number one scene? And, and here we go, number one, and we're going to end it with this. It was, uh, and I said you touched on it earlier. To me, it was when Dustin Hoffman character Raymond, at the end, it was the first time ever where he made, he, he initiated contact with Charlie. Mm-hmm. And he put his head on him, and it showed, like, anytime somebody made contact with him throughout the film, he went crazy when it was, like, for pain and all this other stuff. But to me, it was that moment that he said he accepted you in his life, his world of Vern, his world of Wapner, his world of, 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 of his, that's the best that it was going to be. Mm-hmm. That moment there was the best. That was, if you wanted a goodbye ending, then the, for you, it should have been a fade to black right there. Yeah. But the a film went on and reality happened. This is one of those times, like, you glad they just didn't wrap it up right. Like, like oh, yeah, they went on living. No, no, he went back. He went back and now he's like, I'm going to come visit you. And you don't know. They just leave hope. So to me, that was the, like, that was very emotional. I loved it. Like you could take any 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 sex scene. You you could take Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet sweatily going at it on the Titanic. Take any physical scene that you could think of and put it up against that moment. That is such a emotionally charged moment, and and in like physical contact. It's it was just it was it was just so powerful because it was like it was like. I don't want to call it foreplay about two brothers, but there was all of this foreplay up until that moment where you were longing for that physical contact to happen. And it's just the lightest little thing. And um, when it happens, it's, it's a moment, like I say, just a moment of serenity. And like I said, them two meeting at that moment. So yeah, that's my top moment of the film. All right. Those are our favorite scenes in uh, Rayman. Let us know what your favorite scenes were in the comments. And uh, let's get on to scene stealers. This is the last scene stealers of this season. Whoever goes on the board has some fierce competition Very against fierce. them. I mean, I mean, what do you what do you, what do you say? Yeah. So uh, to recap, really quick. Oh, you got it down. He wrote it down. Yes, this, I guys. did. It's a big fucking list, guys. I'm not gonna show you what the last one is because I made a prediction. Um, all right. So episode one, we did Black Panther. That is Denai Guerrero. Figured I'd say her name for the last episode. I've been telling you how to say it for weeks. Denai Guerrero. And look, I put it in parentheses how to pronounce it actually. Denai. Actually, Denai Guerrero. Uh, So episode one, Black Panther, Denai Guerrero. (laughs) Episode two, Tenet, Robert Pattinson. Episode three, The Living Wake, Michael Connell. Episode four, Rounders, Mr. Matt Damon. Episode five, Paid in Full, Woods Harris. Then we did Us, that's Lupita Nyong'o. V for Ven... Oh, you know I'll get her right. Get her right. Episode 7, V for Vendetta. Natalie Portman. Funny fact. Natalie Portman used to be my hall pass until I saw Lupita Nyong'o, and she took Natalie Portman's place. But this is not an award for who gets my hall pass. This is an award for scene stealers. I'm just not going to talk. Episode 8 is Coffee Town. That was Glenn Howerton. Episode 9, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, John Candy. 
Jackie Brown was Miss Pam Greer. That was number 10. Yes. And now here we are, episode 11, Rain Man, who is going on the board. As he just mentioned, all those great candidates. And so with this film, Rain Man, for me, no need to hold you guys in suspense. I'm going to go right out and say it for me, Dustin Hoffman. Yeah, yeah. I, I have to give an honorable mention to Tom Cruise because he's great. The way, like I said, the way his character subtly grows throughout the whole thing is a terrific performance. And every single scene he's in, you see him 110% present. He is pouring everything into it. But as great as Tom Cruise did, I agree with you. He didn't begin to hold the candle to Dustin Hoffman's masterful performance. And I think what sets it apart is that Dustin Hoffman's performance was... His role was so much more demanding, what what was expected of him, um, and how how sensitive he had to approach that character to not make it offensive, and he walked such a thin line between showing the showing somebody with autism authentically. And to the point, like I keep going back to, there was there are parts where it's where it's humorous. There's parts where it's heartbreaking. You're always feeling for him, and um, yeah, that those are all the those are all the signs of an excellent performance. For me, the reason why I said it when you have two A-listers, and I'm not just saying that as a throwaway line. When you really have two iconic actors on screen, and one's one senior, like Hoffman was a senior. It's not like Cruises though, you know a. I'm saying, man, I'll carry you, old man, if you let me carry you. I mean, I'm not mm-hmm. saying he came on saying that, but you know, you guys that bravado. And then we have Hoffman, who's coming there, like, and as we found out, uh, we'll find out later, maybe, you know, showing truly he'll too do whatever it takes to get the job done as far as maybe working not so much on the screen, but with people behind the screen as well. We'll definitely discuss that. So The other thing is that as great as Tom Cruise's performance was, and I'd never get tired of Tom Cruise, the... That perform like I've seen him play a version of that character in pretty much everything he's done, and with Dustin Hoff, well, not everything. I, I will take yeah, out uh, Tropic. I will omit Tropic Thunder from that <laughs> because that was unlike anything he's ever done. Private jets. <laughs> he he had there. Yeah, that's another. That's season two, hopefully. Oh yeah. Um, but Dustin Hoffman, I've never. Years. I mean, that was so removed from everything that Dustin Hoffman is, and then also knowing. The dedication that Dustin Hoffman brings to any performance, to any role that he's taking, um, is yeah, it's it's there's no competition here. Dustin Hoffman immediately goes up and right up onto the board with everybody else. An honorable mention to him playing the role in uh, Meet the Fockers. Definitely killed that too. And and I Heart Huckabees. That's uh, that's another one I'm hoping. We can go on and on. Dustin Hoffman. Congratulations. Get your ass up there, Dusty. Board in the nick of time. Um, next, next week. Get your ass up there, Dusty. Uh, next week, uh, New Year's Eve. This is our final episode of Season 1, but next week we will be doing a recap of Season 1, a preview of Season 2, um, and in that next week we'll also be choosing our scene stealers of the of this whole season it will 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 count the 11 down to a top three and decide who on this board is the best three of the season um 
So that'll be next week on the special episode. Uh, do you have anything else uh, to add for scene stealers? No. I, like I say, he killed it, and there's nothing else that, that should be said about it. They both, like I say, when you get Tom Cruise and Dustin Hoffman, nobody really loses. But the fact that what, what they were given, they both did the best they could. Um, Hoffman's character called for more, and he delivered. With that being said, it is definitely time to move on to Bigger Boat. Definitely time for Bigger Boat. You are going to need a bigger boat. All right, so this is our these are our favorite lines from the movie. Um, so many, uh, so many iconic lines in this movie. My uh, my family probably like growing up. We communicated with ourselves mostly through um, different lines from Rain Man. Uh, many times in the Petlansky household, you would hear "Uh oh, V E R N." V-E-R-N, and my mom does it absolutely terribly. Uh, it is it is downright disrespectful to anybody with a disability how my mom <laughs> does a Rain Man impression because she goes full. Rain it in, man. <laughs> yeah. Rain it in, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, Ray, okay, let's get right into it. Yeah. Raymond, am I using you? Yeah. He's answering a question from 30 minutes ago. <laughs> no, first he goes, shut up. He's answering the question from 30 minutes ago. Yeah. And it's so funny, but you can't laugh. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. It is. This whole movie is like when you're in a classroom and the teacher says, no laughing, no cutting up. And then at that point, everything becomes tickling. So much. Um, uh, Charlie, uh, Tom Cruise. Why should I be disappointed? I got the rose bushes. Did, did he, what would you call him again? The beneficiary? He didn't get the rose bushes, but I definitely got the rose bushes. I definitely got the rose bushes. And uh, he goes, yeah, did, you, did you hear the letter? No. Can you read it back again? Because I can't believe my f***ing ears. And uh, that, well, that, that's such an, it's a, of course, a hilarious moment. But one thing I picked up on in that is that uh, Charlie is like, you know, I, I definitely got the rose bushes. I definitely got the rose bushes. That was like a clue there about Raymond's tick. Because Raymond is like definitely, definitely gonna be late. Def- definitely, you know, they're they are brothers. <laughs> oh, not that I did not catch. Now that was a good. That was an awesome catch. I'll give you that. I'll definitely give you that. I love. Here's the thing. I told you, Susanna was getting on my nerves. It was when early in the early in the movie to where, like, she like she gets pissed off because like the first time she, the first time she, gets left in the car. He's at his dad's funeral. And she's already looking pissed off. Like, and I know I'm going to get... Uh, wait, first off, I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. I don't want no positive attraction. So she she's sitting in the car pissed off. He comes. And then and then uh, he goes to his dad at Stace. And she's like, oh, yeah. Her line was, sure, I can wait in the car if you like. Like, like what? I I wanted Robert De Niro from, from Jackie Brown to show up right then and just pop her right then and there. Like, no, no, so I'm serious. Let's see one more word. No, no. Shut your f***ing mouth. You. I'm serious. Shut your f- yeah, like how dare you? Like she was on, she was on him from the beginning. Like well, you're pressuring me. I don't understand why you have such a problem with women. Is what someone would say if they were talking. Is to what a, I am saying to you now. When we go back through this season, every <laughs> strong woman that is trying her best to steer an uncontrollable man in the right direction. I I I, I remember Rounders. And your problem with you what? know what the 
What's wrong with Joe? Everybody I, I knows still what's wrong don't with Joe. know what's wrong with Joe. I can bring that up. I, 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 lose, I, don't, I lose time. <laughs> I lose time. I have no problem with Susanna. I think that, like I, I, I say again, she was the moral compass in this movie. She was the lighthouse. Um, oh my gosh. This it has nothing to do with the crush that I had on her from Hot Shots either. Gotcha, just want to be sure. Oh, Topper. <laughs> Topper. Um, so, yeah, Charlie, looking through uh, all of uh, Raymond's books, he picks up the one. He's like, did you, uh, do, do you read this, Raymond? I don't know, Vern. Did you read any of the stories in here? Yeah. And then he, so you read all the stories in this book, and you don't know if you read the book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and that that whole scene, you know, he's doing he's doing he's doing who who's on first. It's his way of dealing with you touching his things. And Charlie does not flinch at all. Continues going through all of his shit. Uh oh, V E R N. Like that. Yeah, that 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 scene in there is great. Fucking EPA. The whole world's choking on smog, and they're and they're gonna correct the situation by keeping my four cars off the road. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh um, man, yeah, that, that was early in the film, like, and it really, like I said, it was still setting up the character the development of what kind of prick of uh, Charlie was from the beginning. I mean, I just knew that was his f***ing Lambo coming out of the sky. Dude, I'm like, I can't wait for his prick ass to get in this f***ing car and drive off. Yeah, but he didn't. Um, Charlie and Raymond, when he first meets him at at uh, Waybrook, uh, they're sitting out by the pond. Ray, what are you looking at? Wait, what are you looking at, Ray? The ducks are over here. I don't know. <laughs> when when they're sitting with Pond and Raymond's just like staring off into the distance and it's just one of those moments where you're watching Charlie try to navigate this relationship without having any without putting forth any effort to try to understand what Raymond's where working. yeah his brother's perspective like he just came into like hot just like Mission Impossible, every other role he's had, he's coming in, his crew is going to save the day. What are you day. looking at, Ray? The ducks are over here. I don't know. Like, this is what we got. He, said, like, he did Mission Impossible, this one, one of the uh, best ones for me was when uh, Raymond says, ha-ha, Charlie Babbitt made a joke. Yeah. Like, that was like, oh, man, now they're now they tugging on my heart a little bit. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's showing that connection towards the end, so that was really one of the best ones for me. This is a Raymond line. When they get to the hotel, the first hotel, and he's uh, noticing the differences between the hotel room and his room, he's like... I definitely don't have any books. Definitely don't have any books. So of course, I don't have a bookshelf. Uh, I'm definitely going to be bookless. Definitely going to be bookless. <laughs> Listen, like, and, and let's, I mean, like I said, let's give a shout out to that, that, that dialogue. And it, it, like we talked about this earlier, don't make a scene. Stop mm. acting like a fucking. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. Where was, I got, damn, where's the FDCPA, whoever you want to call, like, Man, nobody. How did that test in theaters? Uh, actually, it did. It did terrible in theaters for the first few weeks, from what I read. It didn't. It, it, was, it was kind of Shit. a flop. But people started talking about it after they saw it. Like, man, you got to see this movie. There's this in it, and it is hilarious. And that, that, that's Vegas. probably how it went down. Like, I'm pretty everybody sure it talking is. Like, Have you seen the <laughs> movie? Yeah. Hey, yeah, yeah. You know what? It's not. It's not. It's funny, but it's not. It's not funny in the sense of comedical. It's funny that that's what makes people watch good movies. You gotta hear something sick mm -hmm. to watch a movie. Man, don't tell you to read the light. And but by that same tone, radio tried that. And huh? It's radio. Oh, Cuba, oh, Cuba, yeah, Cuba Gooding Jr. Yeah, yeah. You said what? That was actually that he went full, right? Yeah, he went. 
But yeah, it was, it was he went full, yeah, full in a bad way. He's not supposed to go full. I, th- I thought Never that move, I thought that performance was still good. He caught a lot of flack for it. There's a lot of memes and out snow there. Dogs. Of, uh, and snow dogs. <laughs> my my last uh, my last quote was actually your first one. Am I using you, Raymond? Shut up. He's asking. He's answering a question from a few from a half hour ago. That was my <laughs> that, last one. Okay. All right. All right. So okay. Uh, Ninety-seven X. Bam. The future of rock and roll. Ninety-seven X. Bam. I'm like, if he says that one time, Tom Cruise is gonna lose it. Oh, here we go. Oh, here we go. He just inherited three million dollars. He doesn't understand the concept of money. That's ironic. No, no. That's. King Curry, do you think that's do you think that's poetic? Oh yeah, he goes. Uh, don't you think so? Don't you think that's poetic? Don't you think that's poetic? Don't you think? He gets no answer. Right? Like Jesus Christ, man. So yeah, those are gonna be our uh, those are gonna be our. You need a bigger votes, man. Oh man. All right. What were your favorite lines in Rain Man? Put them so much the for NASA. <laughs> Next up. We got cast, crew, you, and we are talking to the very talented IMDB goes on for pages and pages and pages of movies that you know. Let's get right into it with David McGifford. Today we are joined by a very special guest, someone who has had his hands in a great multitude of so many great films, including but definitely not limited to 1976's King Kong, an officer and a gentleman, Tootsie, the Back to the Future trilogy, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Rain Man, The Fisher King, Batman Returns, The Firm, Little Giants, The People vs. Larry Flint, Man on the Moon, Vanilla Sky, and so much more. Um, David McGiffer, a veteran producer and assistant director, turned super dad, joins us today. <laughs> And again, thank you so much for joining us. And with that introduction, I mean, how can you fail? You, you cannot fail with all those nice things that he said to you. There's no way for you to fail. <laughs> so again, welcome to the show. Listen, uh, for all the people out there, um, when they go to the f- movies and, of course, they see at the end of a film, the credits begin to roll. They see all these names and they see all these descriptions of these jobs. You, of course, being an assistant director, could you explain to the people out there what an assistant director's role is specifically on set? I'll try. Um I think the most visible thing is that um, they look like they're kind of directing traffic on the set, which is true. I mean, it's the AD's job to disseminate information, disseminate the director's wishes to the rest of the crew, and mainly to facilitate the crew because the crew are the people that are making the movies and AD is watching them make the movie. And a lot of ADs make that mistake. I always tell my second assistance when they're coming along that you have to remember that you're there to help. You're not making the movie. In the pre-production, we uh, come up with what they call the shooting schedule, which is kind of the roadmap for the whole production. Um, Everybody uses it. The cast uses it. The crew uses it. It lists everything that's going to be needed on a particular production day. You guys probably know this. I think I think that covers it in a rough in a rough way. I'd like to talk about Rain Man for a few minutes. Uh, what would you say was your single greatest achievement with that production? I've never thought about it that way. Um, I think I, I, I watched it again yesterday because I, I wanted to be able to talk about it, and I hadn't seen it in years. And I was really surprised at how emotional it was. And I think that that's been if I was proud of something. It, it was more a shared proud of, of how the crew and the cast worked together on that film. It was really something to behold. 
And we found out about halfway through the film that about 80% of people working on the film had either a direct in their family mental illness or they knew someone well who had a mental illness. So it brought this incredible level of sensitivity into everything that was going on from the way the focus pullers were working with the way obviously the actors were working, but they were surrounded in a really kind of unusual dome of people that were all focused on trying to bring out the best they could so that they could show Dustin's illness in the, in, in the most humane and healing way they could. To, to me, even to me, at least uh, when it came out, of course, I was an, uh, not even adolescent, a child, but it was one of the first times I watched a film and said, this is the first time that something's ever shown me, any literature has ever shown me that, visual literature for that matter, that a, re a person with a mental illness isn't just, they're not just dumb. There are things that they're great at. It's like, okay, because this is missing, they're hyper great at that. And so it made it cool to be like, wait a minute, they're smarter than me than this. I'll, I'll never be able to do that math problem, no matter what school I go to. But yet you look at this person, you think that they're lesser than and they're more than. So that's something that I love me as a child that made me feel great about that. Now, now, let me ask you this. Such an iconic director, such as uh, such as Barry Levinson at the moment. What was it? OK, I, what was it like to work with him? But in the moment, did you even realize who you were working with and what this will be? I, I don't think anybody realized what it would be. We knew what we hoped it would be. That's the first thing. I was hired by Sidney Pollack. Sidney Pollack was um, supposed to be the director. So when I made my deal with Jerry Mullen, who was Sidney Pollack's co-producer, as uh, to be an associate producer and, and the AD, I, I thought I was gonna be working on a Sidney Pollack film. Two or three weeks before production started, Sidney because he could not solve the script problems that, that were inherent in it and that needed change. He couldn't come up with the ideas. And I, I think um, Tom and Dustin had hard outdates. And so we, 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 had, we had to shoot on, on our scheduled days. Couldn't push the film. So one day we'd started prepping and one day, Sydney comes to us and says, okay, guys, you know, I'm leaving soon. I want you to come out with me and get in this van. We're going to Barry Levinson's house in Bel Air. And so, you know, the, the producers, the, the camera people, the, uh, the key grip, the, you know, the gaffer, I, me, we all get in this van and we drive to Barry Levinson's house and we walk into Barry Levinson's living room and we all shake hands with Barry and sit down and his wife who is incredibly pregnant is bringing us like coffee and stuff. And we sit there for an hour and talk with Barry and Barry to his great credit and bravery accepted the entire crew and he'd never worked with any of us. So there's one thing about Barry Levinson that I bet not many people know. And he was the perfect person for this story because he understood both those guys. He understood what Dustin was trying to do. Even if he didn't understand the illness he was trying to portray, he understood what Dustin was trying to pull off. And he understood the change that Tom had to have through the course of the show, which was basically from being you know, someone you really wouldn't want to be around to someone who had their heart opened. There were rewrites going on the way through. He, he, he liked to work fast. And sometimes it was too fast. And um, 
I've been debating uh, um, ever since I got your, your note about whether I should tell this story because I've never, honestly, I've never told anybody that's not a personal friend. Um, and I, cause I don't like to get into stuff like that about, you know, but I'm, I'm tell you because it's, it's, it's a, a case in point for being an AD and being a director and being a, a star. Mm -hmm. um, the camera people came to me at one point early on on the show and they said, it, can you help us? Barry is going too fast. Sometimes Dustin posts something that we've never seen before and somewhere we're not ready for and we're not hitting our focus stuff. We're close, but we're buzzing them. And Barry wants to move on. He's, he said, no, it's good enough. We've got to go. And it's not good enough. We want to make this as good as we can. What can we do? So, uh, okay, I'm going to say it. So I went to Dustin and I, I said, look, here's what's happening. And I'd work with Dustin on Tootsie. So I had a relationship with him. And I said, what do you think about if, if, if I work out a signal, if the camera people tell me they had a problem and I work out a signal with you, would you go and ask Barry for another take because he'll never say no to you? And he said, absolutely. And he said, let's go and talk to Tom. So we went and talked to Tom. Tom said, absolutely. And that's how we got around something that, you know, there could have been a problem. Yeah. We didn't use it a lot, Barry, honest. <laughs> we use it about five times, but those are the kinds of things that come up on a film that people don't talk about. It isn't a slam on Barry. It isn't a slam on anybody, but it's how you make, it's how everybody's trying to pull for the same thing, which is to make it good. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. I'm, I'm, I'm the kind of director that like, after working with so many different people, a variety of people in crew, I realize it's that it's hard to find that balance and know when you're working with is this somebody that's just a perfectionist and it will never be good enough or is this is this something that we actually need to do again and making those deci decisions on the fly when you're looking at the big picture as a director knowing what we still have left to do it's really easy to to just know we we got to move on and it's good enough especially if you like the performance yeah, you know, yeah. and and oh my God, that's what I wanted. You know, um, we we buzzed him. You know, what do you do? Anyway, I don't. He was very facile. You know, he was very he was very. Uh, he didn't get uh, heavy on people a lot. He kept it light. It, you had to listen to his words, though. If he was if he wanted something changed, and he was telling you definitely, it had the nice tone to it. But it was very. You had to listen to the subtext and 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 work with it. I liked him really a lot. He didn't, you know, he didn't know me from anybody. I could have been some guy off the street. He didn't know who I was or what I did or, or how I did it. So it was kind of hands off for a while, um, which I expected and understood. But um, I, think, I think by the time we all got rolling, uh, we had a good relationship. I liked him a lot and, I, and, and obviously was amazed by his talent, amazed by his writing talent and by his work with actors. And speaking of working with actors, well, I, so I was reading that Dustin Hoffman, um, he is just a treasure trove of interesting stories for what for the shenanigans on set. So the, the Vegas scene, um, I read that he kept slipping off to play blackjack um, and it was, it was eventually halting the production when, he, when crew would have to go find him. So they, uh, eventually he had somebody that was hired to just watch him in between takes. Yeah, so we, we put a PA in charge. 
I'm curious, are like how do you navigate those situations and because like he had to notice sorry i now have a babysitter so the, there's something like that that comes up but was there was there ever a time that it felt like somebody was more trouble than they were worth well never any more trouble than they were worth they they could be trouble but you just that's part of what you do so dustin you know is playing this guy he's 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 very inward this character and he's sitting at the table under the lights in this crazy focus wherever the hell he went for that character and he changed the lighting around and he had to he had to you know let it out you know so he would disappear he'd, he'd you know put the stand-ins in he'd he'd go off to the side and then after a while yeah it's like oh, guys where's dustin um I did hear on the radio, um, not sure. So after that happened a few times, he would go off to the tables and, and just jump in, do a few hands, enthrall people, of course. And, and then, you know, we'd, we'd get him back. So we put a PA with him. He'd stand way back where he wasn't intruding on what he was doing. We kept it all low key. He knew that somebody had to, you know, he wasn't trying to ditch us. He just, he had to go and, and get some air. On Tootsie, talking about going into roles, and, and maybe you can't use this, but I just want to tell you because it's so cool and how deep he went into that character of Dorothy, the woman. I caught him shopping with his wife on a weekend, dressed as Tootsie. <laughs> he would dress up as a woman and go around with his wife into all these places where women shopped and the dressing rooms and everything so he would understand what was going on. He loved it. Now that's method acting. Yeah, that is that is method. Kids, kids out there, that if you yeah. want to commit, you got to commit. Um, I agree. One of the things of the stigmas out there for people who love film, but they don't want to make them. They just love watching them. One of the things that, at least when you first growing up, and you, I mean, people think that films are shot just like, hey, this scene, that scene. Like, oh, I love that story. They must have like from beginning to end. This is what they've done. But the, we all know. In the industry, that's not how it happens. 98% of the time, that's not what happens. So let's talk about Rain Man. It was shot mostly in sequential order, which is not the norm. And it actually followed the road trip. It follows the road trip that the characters take. So let me ask you this. Yeah. Was that more or less challenging than shooting a film out of order? Either way would have been a challenge, but the, it had obvious benefits to everybody. And that was that the characters had a chance to evolve. It, it, you know, in sequence. And, they, and since it was uh, a script a lot of times in progress and characters a lot of times in progress, Dustin kept freaking out that he didn't have the character yet. He didn't have the character. We'd be two weeks in. He was like, I don't have him. I don't have him. I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing with this. I got, I got to, I can't find him, you know? And so as we shot our way across the country, he, they, they gradually came in and Tom came in as this brash kind of guy, you know, and then watching Dustin, interacting with Dustin, watching Dustin go through the changes his character went through. And then we all evolved as, as, a, as a crew and interacting with them. So to me, um, shooting in, in basically in order was fantastic. And, and it was a godsend. Um, if we've exploded the script the way, as you were saying, you know, it happens on so many shows for so many different reasons. But on this one, we, we decided, I don't know if it was 
a decision that was made before I got there or however, but that's how I boarded it. That's how we shot it. One thing about it, if you're interested, at the end of the show, now we're back in Los Angeles. We've been shooting out in Palm Springs and we're shooting the, the stuff in the car dealership and everything. And Dustin is unhappy about a scene that we shot in Cincinnati because he now that he had grown into his character, he was looking back at it and thinking about it. And it was like, that isn't how, that, that wasn't, you know, I, I want to, I want to make it better. We went back to Cincinnati and reshot that coffee shop scene where they order pancakes and the toothpicks go on the floor. Mm -hmm. We went back and shot it. And I think a couple of other things too. I think the walk down the, from, from the uh, home where he was and stuff, we reshot a couple of things like that because he felt as though he had the way the guy walked and the way he uh, reacted to this better. That would be the definition of an A-lister. Talking about having cash. Hey, guys, you know what? You know what we shot two weeks ago? Let's go back and do it again. How are we going? And it's, it's somebody that, like, I imagine that the, yeah. he, he's one of those people that the, the performance could always be improved upon. And that's, that's where, as the director, you have to find that, like, you know, when is it time to move on and put the foot down? It's so, true. You know, he didn't, he didn't put it to people, though, as an ultimatum kind of thing at all. He, um, they saw some of the cut footage and he taught, you know, he, he, he told Barry, he just said, I, I know I can do this better. And it's a pivotal, you know, pivotal scene, right? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so we did it. And I can't remember whether we came in within the budget or whether that was more money that was given to us, but uh, we went back, we all went back. Couldn't believe it. We we're back there. We we're like, I cannot believe we're back in this coffee shop. <laughs> so uh, just watching the movie uh, the night before, is there, what, what is your favorite scene in Rain Man? I think um, the scene in the motel, where Tom finds out that Raymond is Rayman. The way it was played that night, it had everybody just like blown out, you know, because they, they got really emotional with it. And we shot that in sequence also. And it was just, um, we, we knew we had something at that point, I think. At that scene, we, uh, people would look around and went, wow, you know, I get it, you know, because that woke Tom up. And, and it showed you a picture of Dustin the way he used to be, his, you know, the way his character used to be before he had all these problems. So the Vegas stuff, you know, it was Vegas. We were all just having a blast. I mean, we, you know, I, I saw our prop man win thousands of dollars at the craps table. He actually, you know, we put it in his retirement. You know, he's using his per diem and gambling is per diem. And he was like really good. And we'd stand around and watch him. It looked like, you know, what we were trying to do with us and Tom, he was doing it at the craps table. Uh, you know, there are the, I like the family in the farm where they had to knock on the door and get him in to watch his TV program before he freaked. Um, those kids, there were six little kids there. That was, well, you can imagine, you know, trying to get them all to um, focus and and, and stay with it and 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 Dustin's doing what he's doing which is the kids are like you know what <laughs> and Tom Cruise is there PS so it was interesting and sweet very sweet Dustin Dustin and Tom were really sweet with the kids and the kids you know gradually relaxed and just became themselves and we worked with them a little bit and I, I think it came off we didn't they didn't cut them into them as much as I thought they would but I liked that scene too 
doing the rewatch uh, the other night. So you, because you said you want to be able to talk about it. Was there a scene or a moment that you thought of, like, hey, we're behind the scenes, like a fond, a fond memory? I know you, we talked about your favorite scene, but just a fond memory. Maybe, maybe it was working with a crew member or somebody who wasn't supposed to be on set or a situation, a fire you put out that no one knows about. Was there a fond memory that came to mind watching that? Well, I can think of one. Um, there are two. Um, that come to mind fast. One is when we got to Las Vegas, Barry realized that he needed some more reaction from Dustin in the convertible as they came across country. So <laughs> we, he said, look, take Dustin, take the car and have him set up a camera and go out and drive around and, uh, and, and let Dustin act. You and Dustin just talk in the car and just drive around and get some stuff. That's what we did. I can so Dustin and I are out in this car with uh, an Airflex and a, a mag of film. And we drove down toward um, the dam down there below Las Vegas. And Dustin would just trip on you know, and Or I'd see something, I'd say, you know, is that something that you would trip on the, the reflections of it? Yeah, yeah. And so he'd do it, you know. and and. So we just spent this afternoon doing these little pickup shots. I think a few of them are in the film, but that wasn't the point. The point was, we're just two guys out there trying to do this thing and make it better. So yeah, obviously, I, how, how could I not love that? For laughs, the, you know, the whole freak out that Tom did about the underwear and, and, and on the highway in the middle of nowhere, I just, I laughed my ass off at that. They were so funny. And yeah. Dustin just, just Dustin just <laughs> go the hell out of him. Just got his goat so bad. Just got him so spun. You know that when he jumped out of the car, he was really he was really freaking out. You know, and then the the one other one was the booth scene when they're in the phone booth. That was in the middle of Oklahoma, in the middle of nowhere. I'm not kidding you. There was nothing around for miles, and we we pulled up and we had a couple of cops with us. You know, and we started setting up, and all of a sudden cars just it was a four-way intersection cars start appearing and parking in the fields and you know going through the intersection and finding a place to park and suddenly there's like 80 people there and somehow the word had leaked out that we were filming and they all wanted to come and see you know tom cruise and dustin hoffman so dustin is very outgoing. He jumped out of the trailer and said hello to everybody and signed autographs and just so dear. And uh, um, Tom wouldn't come out. And I, I think he was busy. It wasn't, I don't, I think. Um, but Dustin, uh, being Dustin, grabbed everybody and went over and surrounded Tom's trailer and said this chant, Tom Cruise, come out. Tom Cruise come out. All these people are saying this, you know, and finally Tom comes and they burst into applause and he's like grinning and he's signing autographs, you know, and he kind of, Dustin goes by me, so I'm teaching I'll be a star. <laughs> <laughs> he's so cute. I was going to ask this, I don't, and I know we're wrapping this up, but I wanted to ask this because I, I asked you to give back earlier and give advice and, and, and speaking about the uh, being an AD. But now I want to ask you of all the films that you've worked on and all the amazing talents uh, that you've worked with personally, what's the single best thing that you've learned that you personally could pass on to aspiring filmmakers? Don't be don't have a rigid mindset. Um, you never stop learning. 
I, I never stopped learning for the whole time I was in film. It was just like this gigantic learning curve that crews are, the crews, grip, electric, people like that are the backbone of a film, no matter what anybody says. Um, they make a film happen. It's a cool business and, and, uh, the, and crew people are, to me, what make it cool. They are unbelievable people, most of them. There's no dumb people making films. Before you get to your, uh, the final question, I just wanted to, I know that you, um, you've recently wrote a book that's gonna be coming out in the future, soon-ish. I was intrigued to know what someone with, with your life, what, uh, how that translated in the liter literature, what that book is about, and if you could tell us a little bit about it. When I sat in the gym for six, seven hours a day with Natalie, I realized that I better figure out something to do. So I joined a gym myself and then I thought, well, okay, now that's good. You're physically okay. Now what are you going to do with your brain? Cause you can't just sit there and watch girls work out. That's crazy. So I thought, okay, I'm going to write some stories about things that I loved about my work for my kids because they don't know what I did. I was, they were too little. Uh, they didn't know why there was so much. And uh, so I, I want them to know. And that's how it started. That started in 2011 and I finished it about a month, about, well, I, I mean, every time I open it, I find something I can change, but I, essentially I finished it this year. It's about 78 short, like one to six page, just episodic things that happen, little, like little stories like we've been talking about here of things that made a difference to me about the people I worked with or the situations I got in. And so it's for kind of um, people who like film and, and also people who wanna know what the business is like behind the scenes. And what is the book called? It's called Best Seat in the House, strangely enough. Um, and it's um, the subtitle is An Assistant Director Behind the Scenes of Feature Films. And this is the cover that I'm thinking of trying to do. And I don't know if you can see it, but that's a shot from Back to the Future 3. I'm standing in the street with all these people running around. And, and I want to show you one other shot that is in the book, if I, if Neil Preston will give me permission, and I think he will, this is um, w right before we shot uh, uh, in on Times oh, wow. Square. It's Tom and me going over because I, I cued the whole shot with him. So that's in the book. It's stuff like that. It's like, it was how we pulled off Times Square. It's like how Milos Forman faked me out, um, making directing look easy, a uh, lot of stuff. I'm going to tell you something I told him and I'm asking you, this. I'm going to segue this into the last question. I told him when he told me uh, who we were going to, who we, like when he told me who we booked, I was like, okay, let me do my research. And I was like, are you sure we got the right guy? That's number one. And I was like, okay, it's really him. That's number one. But one of the things I talked about, I'm like, dude, he did the Rick Moranis. And what I, what, what I meant by that was that you, for whatever situation happened in your life, you put your kid in front of your career. And most people don't understand that. Like, like, again, that child means so much to you. Then like, like he mentioned, she's never going to forget that. So you leave a lasting memory, your films, no matter how long they're out there will never make more of an impression than you've made on her for what you've done. It's not a sacrifice. It was, it was an honor to do what you did. So we want to commend you from that here at the show. And uh, so I guess one final question that I guess if we didn't have you, I would ask Rick Moranis, which would be is, Hey, what's your favorite thing? Or should I say, what do you miss most about being on set, no matter what it is? The, the crews I worked with, they were, they, they were my life's education. They, they work, you know, you would not believe the things they take care of behind the scenes, the directors, producers, people have no idea what is going on. And, and um, 
and the, the depth of the commitment that goes on, the knowledge they have, the, the workarounds they have for things that, that they have, you know, oh, we don't have money for that. You can't do one of those, you know, and they figure out a way to do it with no money and the commitments they make. And they all are dads and moms too. And they all have families that are going on. And uh, they're, I mean, people don't give crews enough credit. It's normal. Um, and they're fine with that. They are used to working behind the scenes and without a lot of shout outs, but I shout them out when I can. There's nothing cooler than being able to represent a crew. That's another thing I really liked. Uh, David, thank you so much for taking the time to, to join you. us. I, I, um, I had to look twice too to make sure you had the right guy. I, I was surprised that you, <laughs> <laughs> that you asked me and I thank you, it's been fun. And um, um, I'll see you around. All right, it was an honor. You, thank you. Have a good All night. Right. All right. Take care. All right. Next up, we have room for improvement. This is what we would have changed in Rain Man. And for being a near perfect movie, I, ha I do have a few things that I caught that I would I would have changed. You start and I'll, I'll come in because I'm pretty sure you have more than I do. Okay. Uh, the first thing is kind of uh, it's it's kind of petty. It's kind of ticky tacky. The editing in the motel room in uh, Bumble. Missouri, uh, where specifically where Tom Cruise is standing at the door where it's raining, and it jump cuts a few times with him standing at the door. Uh, I don't know if this was to show time passing, uh, and I don't know this because it didn't really look like time had passed, so I don't know what the point of these jump cuts were. They were just kind of weird, out of place, like to put it bluntly, they were kind of sloppy looking. And they were specifically out of place with the pacing of the rest of the movie. Like, again, with the consistency mm -hmm. that we talked about in Jackie Brown with the cross dissolves. You, you, you either do something throughout or you, or you don't do it at all. And the, the jump cuts in that moment, they just didn't make sense to me. I, I don't know. It, it looked like an editing mistake. Um, one thing... One thing I have to say about this is like sometimes just because you have a segment, you can't force yourself to really say too many things you would have changed about something. Like, and I'll say this, even during the rewatch, I feel the exact same way about it. Sometimes I don't like to change things for the sake of changing them. So I guess one of the things that if I if I look at this and really ask myself, what is something that what if I would have wanted to see? I would have said I selfishly i would have wanted to see that time i mean this is the one time i don't want to be a filmmaker i just want to be a fan of film again and i want to see charlie go home with raymond come home with charlie i do I, and i and I, and and to me if that if that makes it not a classic then so be it <clears throat> that's actually that's one of my things too is i i i disagree with the decision for him to go back that's and in, and in most cases i would i would have been all for like don't give me the happy ending don't tie up or everything let it let it be because more realistic is usually typically things don't go your way so normally i would be like yes that's the ending that was brave for them to do that that was awesome but i don't know if it's a selfish thing for me like i but really, at the end of the day, I th I don't feel like it was the best decision. And I don't feel like they made a good argument that it's the best decision. Because if you think about it, Charlie and Raymond made a ridiculous amount of growth in the in just those seven small days. Time, right, yeah. mm -hmm. His, uh, Charlie is quickly figuring out and adapting to how to cater to 
uh, Raymond's needs and routines. You see him all the time. Like you want, he goes out TV, and gets some fish sticks in the rain. TV. The TV. I, I need eight. Yeah, he is, I mean, he's, yeah. for being so selfish, he really he does got on sacrifice. his schedule quick. Now he did do that. I will say for a kidnapping, uh-huh. this is a very respectful kidnapping. Not only that, but you see that a connection was made, like a yeah. real emotional connection. Yeah. Like Raymond, Raymond made advancements in his in in whatever it is he's got. like he he. He got better as far as relationships go with seven days with Charlie, more so than he had for decades at the place he was staying Woodhall, at. Woodholm or whatever, yes. And Charlie's point in the doctor's office was perfect. He said, have you spent 24 hours a day with him seven days a week? And he even he couldn't say that. No, no nobody there did. Yeah, not even Vern, I don't think. Did. Right. He's just, he's a, so I, th- I think that was... And again, like it was actually written for Dustin Hoffman to end up with Tom Cruise and for them to go off into the sunset together. But Dustin Hoffman uh, opted for that to change and for him to go back to Waybrook. But yeah, I just I don't think uh, you could tell that it was fleshed out for it to be the other way. That's and and, and that's a change that went to mind. Another thing that I would have looked at differently. I wish that he wouldn't have been able to walk off the ground so easily. Like you see the guy walk out like Coretta the villain, some villain, and look at like. That he, it looked weird, and they never followed up on that. Yeah, like it should have been yeah. somebody like right behind. Like, like, what are you doing? Where are you going? Like, you so just, he's better off here, yeah. where anybody can just come and walk away with him. Right. So people can just come get him. Yeah. Where you have just they've all, they've all become it's almost and you see this in places like that where they like oh that's just who he is that's who he's always going to be they become complacent with who Raymond is where as as like where Charlie like from the get go he's not. He's he's not buying all of it. Like he's picking up his books when he knows it makes him uncomfortable. So where everybody else at Waybrook has got to the point where they just they're not pushing Raymond to grow in any way. Um, so he's going to stay stagnant. But in those seven days with Charlie, Charlie, in his like disregard for Raymond uh, with some things, that actually helped Raymond to grow a little bit. And it, it, yeah, it was just it was. It was perfect. One last thing I would have changed. I don't like how Susanna showed back up. To me, it felt like they were trying to wrap up a bow because in that in that, in that time of communication, of course, she didn't like Susanna showing back up. Well, no, no. I'm just saying. Okay, it could have been Bob Dylan. I don't care. Whoever you want, Cisco Freed, if Roy Sigmund Freud. I don't care who she. The person she showed back up. It was just so unrealistic because like for the for like he didn't know she was showing up. So that means somebody else, either the guy back home. And damn sure wasn't Raymond gave her where he was at. Like she, she's not like in GPS is low. So she shows back up, and all of a sudden it's okay. And he drops her back off, and we never really hear from her again. Like, like that, like, like you wrapped it up, and now you're dropping this bitch off. Yeah. And it's like, what the, what's going on, man? Like that's not cool. Like as to me, like it's such a good movie. Like if you're gonna abruptly leave, make her leave, okay, I get it. Mm-hmm. She, you, she, what he did, his brother was so vile. She was so against that that she never. If you're gonna if you're gonna not let Raymond and, and, and Charlie be together, then don't let Charlie and Susanna be together. Mm-hmm. Let leave it to that. Uh, I'll bring it back for one last fling. Yeah, I mean they 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 are engaged. I think they mm-hmm. just, she just wasn't the, their relationship just wasn't the focus of the story. True. Um, I do have I have two more things. The the Vegas scenes. Be careful <laughs> there are, now. I I will say this. There is so there is a lot of great. For as many great moments the Vegas scenes bring us, um, 
but the all all the great moments that happen within the Vegas scenes, from the montage to the heartfelt moment, dancing to um, really those are those are the two. Uh, there's some I don't know, and I've I felt this way. I remember when I first watched it, I felt this way. There was there's something about that section of the movie in Vegas that feels off about the pacing. I feel like it, and I, I don't don't press me on this because I can't I, I can't provide examples for why I feel this way. It's just a feeling. When I get to that point in the movie, about 10, 15 minutes into the Vegas uh, the Vegas portion of the movie, it just kind of starts to feel like it's dragging a little bit. And I don't know why. I don't know why. I'll just say that. Very contradictive of yourself. One minute you say for all the great moments it brings us. It provided us. a lot of great moments. I just, I, I feel like those great moments could have been condensed a little bit. Let's get this straight. He teaches his, he finally figures out based off some jukebox scenario and some diner that his brother, is some, he sees the savant and he immediately rushes out to the back of the car, uh, does the car thing. That's boom. all good. Okay, boom. Now he immediately peels rubber. And this time, rather than, as you mentioned earlier, coming into Vegas slowly, he peels back into Vegas. Punch and shot of watch, you know the story. And so my point is, is now they're in Vegas. Listen, when you're in Vegas, things should fill off. It should never feel like the rest of something when you're in Vegas. Yeah, that's, it felt like they got lost there for a little bit. I've been lost And they Vegas. didn't know how to I've get how to progress the story on from that point. Oh, you meant to show the writers, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, my last thing, and I think this is a pretty big one for me, uh, the Amtrak. Raymond would not get on a plane. Raymond would not drive on the highway. Well, it was raining. It was, they wouldn't drive when it was raining, too. But no questions asked, no breakdown, no nothing. He gets on that Amtrak with the doctor. I find it very hard to believe that he didn't have any bad statistics about trains in his head. <laughs> Touche, my friend. He knew every plane that went down yeah. since Vietnam. So all of us. <laughs> so the only the only thing yeah, that I can track, say I'm is that M4, Mr. Royal, Mr. Dewar's father, what farm? Or else, why didn't him and Charlie take a train across the country? It would have got them a lot faster than taking back roads in a car. The only the only way that I could justify that taking place at the end of the movie he had is, never been on one before or even if he had never been on one still he would yeah know. he'd never been on a plane I, I i just i could if i if i were um if i were defending that as if i were a, if i had made this film or wrote it and i was defending that i would say it's because he had he had grown a little bit and and was more accustomed or uh more accepting of inching outside of his comfort zone because of this week with Charlie. That's why he was able to get on yeah, the train. I don't, I don't want to buy but that. that yeah, is, it's, a, it's a big sloppy. leap. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't fall into the uniform of how incremental their, their character development is. Well, does it, how does it make you, let me ask you this, since that was your last one, how does it make you feel in, in correlation to the, the ending of John Candy and uh, Steve Martin at the, at the train station? Um... I don't think there's any comparison. Hmm. I mean, it's two very emotional moments, but there, okay, there was, there so, was so no the, Okay, so let me get it straight. There's no comparison, and you follow that right up with this is two very there, emotional there, moments. Yes, yeah, <laughs> like, so, talk to so me. there is a comparison, okay. and, I, and I, will, I will elaborate on comparing. There, they, I, I would say planes, trains, and automobiles was... Um, was more emotionally said so it's very hard just the scene not the film just that that scene though 
they're a tie for emotional gratification. Okay, okay, okay. okay. And it, that's why it's so frustrating that it that that little like that little thing with with, with Raymond getting on the uh, train, it just it's distracting from that. He could why did it have to be a train? Why couldn't they have just been getting in a car to leave and go back? Do you think that maybe he was okay well, because someone from his life that he had known for years was already on the train? That's what I thought about that. Because the guy was on there as a conference. He saw him in the window. The same person he known, the dog, somebody he was familiar with. Remember, he's like, I'm not. I'm not. You're just a close friend. He got. It takes years for him to really bring you in and because maybe since this guy had never done him any harm, he's not in his red book. Mm -hmm. Wherever he goes is okay. Charlie's in the red book by the time he gets to the plane. He's nugget them and put yeah. them. You know what I'm saying? So maybe I'm saying maybe that's it. I don't know. That, yeah, that could be. There there are potential reasons. Is it six theories? It would have been so much. Is it six theories to how it is? I don't think oh, it's six we'll theories. We'll get into six theories in, yeah, in okay. mid January. Okay, all right. Um but yeah that, that that's my uh that's what I would have changed. Good good stuff man. What would you have changed about Rain Man? Let us know in the comments. Let us know in the comments. Put something in the damn comments for fing sake. Hit the goddamn button <laughs> With that being said, Thanksgiving. For first timers to the TTFT. Hey man, but, but, no, I, I gotta say this. We've done a lot of fing this year. <laughs> yes, we have. You more so than I. I, uh, I think it's tight. Please. <laughs> Please the crowd. Please the jury. You gave 10 to one movie. There's so many episode. numbers I can call. One, two, three, four, four. Fizzy! Thanksgiving, we give each film uh, one through five middle fingers. Uh, one meaning we absolutely despised it, and five meaning it could not get any better, or as Mr. Royal gave Jackie Brown ten and completely broke the algorithm of what we're trying to do here. It was so worth it. All right, so let's let's uh, let's talk about um, Rain Man. What what you what what were uh, what were your Four. Four? Mm -hmm. Why? I gave it four because I'm not going to pretend it's the best thing since sliced bread and I'm not going to pretend that what, what it is is I want to give it more but as I had to I had to the reason why I want to give it more because I was so shocked as we discussed before that like there are not many reviews on this there's no Siskel and Ebert I mean maybe there's a Siskel and Ebert review but as far as people really talking about this film and breaking it down like I guess people don't break down films if this stuff's not exploding yeah, I guess so. And, it, and so, because we're not a one-trick pony show, we discuss any and everything from from Coffee Town to Living Weight to Black Panthers. You never know what you're going to find um, on our show. And to me, that's why I say I give this a four because it stands the test of time, man. For a film to not be held, it's, it's like the the most underrated classic ever or something like that. It's very strange. Yeah, and it's it's it does stand the test of time because like most most '80s movies, they are. They don't really stand the test of time. It's more of a nostalgic thing. Like, you yeah. want to go back in time, so you mm -hmm. watch them, and you're clearly in the 80s. Like, usually when you watch an 80s movie, you know you're in the 80s. And this is kind of timeless. It, yes. it was made in the 80s, but it, it, <laughs> it yeah, it feels just as relevant today. Sure There's nothing to really put it in a, uh, like, like uh, except for number 18 in 1988. That, that pretty much puts a date on it. But Yeah, but still... Uh, the, yeah, but the, the it's like the, watching a few good men. I don't feel like oh, I went back. It's like oh shit. Yeah, we don't do you to places at parties. Like the like, theme in it is timeless. It's about oh, yeah. 
uh, communicating relationships. I mean, those those things don't go away. Yeah. Um, and see, look how far Tom has come. He went from being in the phone booth and making sure people stand six feet away. Did that mother. Oh, I, David. I wa. Uh, no, when he came on the screen, I'm like, how was this like 30 years ago? This oh. dude looks exactly <laughs> the same. His hair changed a little bit, and I think he may have fixed his teeth. LL Cool J effect, man. What do you want, man? He ain't black, though. <laughs> man, I don't know, man. <laughs> it's the Scientology. Scientology so, is good for your skin. Get out. <laughs> Yo, yeah, yeah. He reversed it out. He might, he might be someone black in his skin, his white skin. We, we flipped it. And like, I'm gonna show you. And Tom's um, so cool. Yeah, he is. To me, this movie was near perfect. Um, it, it's it's way more perfect than most films. It's actually on a bunch of lists of like movies that you need to see before you die, like essential film lists from critics. So there's no denying that this movie is amazing. I give it 4.5 f**ks because, again, it's it's near perfect. There was a few things like the Amtrak thing, the the pacing in the Vegas portion of it, uh, editing, the the ending. Where I, I wish that they would have went away together, but all even with all of that, it doesn't take away enough to like all of that equates to a 0.5 off of the five. So 4.5 f**ks. What do you give Rain Man? Uh, what uh, are you one? Uh, are you one of those weird people that don't like it? Um, if so, why? And uh, tell us what you love about Rain Man again. Comment, comment. Let us know you're there. Is there anybody out there? Subscribe. All right, let's move on to coming attractions. And guess what's coming up? Everything that we've done that's happening now, that's happened now, that did happen, that would happen, that will happen, that did happen, all the TTFT and all that will be, has happened. Listen, I've only said this once in life and I'm going to say it again. TTFT. Guys, what we're talking about is a comprehensive breakdown of everything we've done throughout the season. And so we're going to be doing a recap of everything we know. We're talking about interviews, David. We're talking about giving. We're talking about all the moments between me and you and all the f***ups ups that you really had. Yes, that is absolutely right. So we, this is the end of season one, but do not fret. We are not going away for very long. Uh, New Year's Eve, we will be doing our recap episode. We will be taking a moment before we move on to season two to kind of relive all of our favorite moments from season one. We'll also announce uh, our picks for the movies for Season 2 and let you guys choose which ones of those you would like us to cover for Season 2. And then, on January 14th, we return with Season 2 covering our favorite film. Vanilla, Vanilla, Vanilla Sky. Is that why you don't like it? Because Because it's vanilla? Listen. Can't wait to see you guys in season two. <laughs> Don't miss that first episode. It may be the last. Guys, have a very Merry Christmas tomorrow. I hope you're having a Merry Christmas Eve tonight. We will see you again on uh, New Year's Eve for our recap special. It's going down. I'm going to make them have some drinks. Thank you very much to all you uh, faithful viewers. We see the views every week. We wish we saw the subscribes. Uh, 
properly correlating to the views. Right now, it's about 20% of you watching are actually subscribed. So that means 80% are just stopping by watching and we have no idea who you are you need the only fans because you're horn again <laughs> but it's cool maybe maybe that's how we get that get the only fans just big hey I, I i've got to i've got Fred, to we're Fred. we're we're doing this for the views so again thank you for everybody that has been watching uh please subscribe uh tell your friends about us we will be back January, or we will be back New Year's Eve with our recap, and then we will return mid-January with Season 2. Uh, Alright, guys. It has been a wonderful season. As always, I am Dirt and Godfrey. And I am Mr. Royal. Let me ask you, Dirt, you ever just look up at the stars, man? That's the f***ing trailer. We'll see you in season 